0: Joan Esposito, live, Live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Surrey Ryder.
1: How was your holiday? I hope if you had one, if you celebrated, that it was peaceful and joyous and meaningful. Um, As someone who does not personally celebrate Christmas, I always enjoy hearing other people's Christmas celebrations, if you had one of those holidays where you had to make a great deal of effort not to talk politics, and you're just ready to explode from the effort of holding it in, you can feel free to vent a little bit here by text or by phone. Yeah, since I'm in for Joan, I, I will be happy to hear your your venting. 773-763-WCPT. That works for phone or for text. It is difficult. It's really difficult. I was talking with somebody um, about the, uh, the 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 tenderness with which I am now approaching any kind of political conversation about the Middle East with people. I'm just, there's a small group of people. I scope them out ahead of time with whom I have a fair amount of agreement and everybody else, I just try to politely listen or excuse myself. That's, that's how I'm handling that. But if you have to spend an extended amount of time with somebody who's got a really strong view and wants to wave it in your face, it doesn't have to be on that. It could be, could be on something else and you just, you handled it. As well as you could, and then you, and th- and then you you stuck your face into the snacks bowl and didn't come out for two hours. I, I whatever works. Sometimes the only thing that works is to just keep eating. Now, I'm sorry, can't turn around full of almonds here. Sorry, sorry. Lo- love to respond to your soliloquy about. The former president and how the election was stolen with him. But my mouth is full. Of, my mouth is full of almonds. I can't talk. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, it's enough to make you take up smoking just so you have an excuse to go outside. I'm kidding. Don't take up smoking. But if you made it through the holiday with great difficulty, th- this is the place where you, you can talk about your family behind their backs without mentioning their names and and I will, I will understand. I will sympathize. I will be. I will be. You know what's really hard when your kids, when your kids go down a different political path. And what do you say? They're your kids. You don't say, "Don't show up here with that view." You. You can't say that. You love them. You. You just. I mean, let's talk about something else. How, how's your dog? Whatever works. Speaking of family, I don't know if you saw the New York Times piece. Uh, As you know, the Republicans are going just completely bananas on Hunter Biden's texts and emails. And if you're like me, you've gotten a lot of people to the right of you, assuming you have people to the right of you in your life, sending periodic updates on what they regard as the great Hunter Biden corruption and graft conspiracy. And one of the best articles that I have read in a really long time was the debunking of one of these where Hunter Biden apparently texted his daughter about her money situation in 2019 and said, well, just just be glad you don't have to share half your money with pop as I did. Now, you can take this text at face value if you want to and make it mean a whole bunch of things. And the paranoid Republican caucus has taken it to mean that Hunter Biden had to share his Burisma salary with his Father, the president. However, context is everything. Everything. And according to every member of uh, the Biden family, it was family lore. You probably have family lore. When we were kids, we had to walk to school in the blazing heat and the freezing cold, and it was uphill both ways. You probably had that, some version of that. I had one shirt. I washed it at night. You probably heard some version of this. I know we have family lore in our house, principally intended to impress upon our children how how good they have it. So apparently the family lore in the Biden household was that the kids were obligated to work summer jobs or work while they were in school and that half of what they earned went to pay for their college room, and board. We had something similar, actually, with our kids. We said, you know, we can do more for you if you go to U of I. If you want to go to one of these fancy private schools, you will have to contribute X amount every year. And every year we took X amount out of their school year and summer job earnings and put it toward their own tuition. And I'm sure that they could have texted, just be glad you didn't have to give X thousand dollars to mom like we did. Context is everything. So it's it, it has, according to the whole Biden family, the idea that Joe Biden just swoops in and takes half of people's salaries is ludicrous, especially given the context of this. Of this uh, piece was written in Hunter Biden's apparently worst drug-addled detox failing times. When he was sending a whole bunch of text messages that made very little sense. And his daughter was trying hard to understand what was going on with her dad and make peace. And she said, yes, you know, we're happy to help pay for our college. And by the way, pop, that's what they call the president, but it wasn't the president at the time, is going to chip in and help us with our college expenses. We know things are hard for you right now, dad, kind of thing. Has anybody ever taken a text you've sent or an email you've written or come in on the middle of a phone call and just completely taken it out of context, completely misunderstood? What did you mean when you said, I just heard you – I just read that you said, if that's ever happened to you, you know what this is like. You know that if you select – and people do this all the time with editing – and the right-wing news sites do it all the time. All the, that's their specialty, taking stuff out of context. The Breitbarts and the, the, what the heck is the guy who does the, that woman who does the libs of TikTok. What they, they specialize in taking out of a two-paragraph statement. They'll take four words and go, look what they said. Look what they said. Look what they're going to do. They said. I'll bet if you took a second right now, not if you're driving, don't do this if you're driving, please don't do this if you're driving. I'll bet if you took your phone and took a look at your texts or your emails, you could easily find a few words strung together that if somebody just said or printed or published you said, it would not look good. It would not look good. It might be the opposite of what you said. It might be the opposite of what you meant. Like, just for example, I remember when I was putting together my home studio, I'm at the beautiful WCPT Chicago's Live Local and Progressive Studios right now with the fetching and you have the controls, and Julia helped putting the show together, and thanks to all of it. But if if you if you knew me when I was building the home studio... I I might have said something about, um, thank goodness my friend, we'll just call him Nick, which was not his name. Thank goodness my friend Nick is coming by to fix this disaster of a studio. Otherwise, I would have to quit radio altogether. And if you wanted to take that out of context, you could quote, I would have to quit radio altogether and put that all over the place. You know, Tory Ryder said, I would have to quit radio altogether. Yeah. WCBT, that, that's not, you know, that's not what good journalism is. And that's not, we hope, what the Republicans, you know, if they have a shred of, well, I, you know, that's a big if, if they have a shred of decency left. But one would hope, one would really hope. That somebody would say, you know, just because you've got these five words in print, it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. There's a perfectly, altogether now, there's a perfectly innocent explanation. There's a perfectly innocent explanation. So many times, it's the perfectly innocent explanation. But if you're looking, if you're looking... If you're looking, <clears throat> ooh, ooh, here's a venting from Christmas. That's a good one. All right, we flipped out. It will be the last Christmas supper. A turkey table had to get flipped, but it ended the endless lies and got an even a, got an apology from a liar or two, terrible all the way around. <laughs> oh dear. I'm so sorry that happened to you. A flip turkey is a hard thing. It's a hard thing. Let's talk to Steve, who has a Hunter Biden thought and also the family dynamics. Steve, welcome. You're on WCPT.
2: Yes, I think it's
3: an interesting topic. And I agree. You know, how does one navigate, you know, the holidays, let alone other family functions in the modern world, given how divided we are? Yes. There was a time we all we all had friends and family. You know, they were Democrats. They were Republicans, conservatives, liberals. Yeah, we all managed to, you know, talk with one another to get together and not kill each other. Yes. Today, you know, you're you're not just the person with whom I disagree. You're the enemy. In many cases, and yes. that's the way we've come to regard each other, and and, that, and it makes getting together really difficult. So the old adage about not discussing um, politics or, or religion, yeah, I mean perhaps that's good, you know, good to fall back on. Yeah, let's go back. Let's go back.
1: I normally am not one of these people who says, "Let's go back to the good old days," but yeah, let's go back to the good old days. Let's go back to when we did not talk about religion and politics at family gatherings. I'm for that. I'm I'm all for that all the time. And then you have to vet people for your secret little group yeah. where you can say exactly what you think even if it isn't very nice.
3: Yeah, you, you know exactly who's going to try and bait you. So just leave it alone, you know, don't get near them. <laughs> you know, have, have have some small talk with them, but you know, leave everything else alone because in the end what what is it going to accomplish? It's going to ruin everybody's day. You two are not going to change each other's minds, so just leave it alone. And, no, and
1: then having said that... You, uh, wait, wait, wait. You've just uh, said something very important, because I, one of the ways that I detach and, and move away from these folks is, you know, I appreciate that you feel really strongly about your opinion, and I feel really strongly about my opinion, and I think we should just agree that we're not going to change each other's minds. There's nothing I can say that's going to change the way you feel about this. Is nothing you can say that's going to change the way I feel about this. And therefore, let's have more smoke almonds.
3: Yeah, exactly. I'm a doctor of political science, so I get friends and family who want to sort of pick my brain. And I try to be as objective as possible. And they'll ask me questions about things like the 2020 election. And when I give them this objective analysis, I think it's, it's as neutral as possible. You know, then they'll, then they'll come back with all of these counters and I'm like, OK, no sane human being believes that Donald Trump was robbed of that election. Oh, you not just called them insane. Not- you just
1: call them insane. I, OK. <laughs>
3: No, 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 no. Let me be clear. When I when I get to a point in the conversation, that's it. I have either said that or want to say that. Because oh, okay. When I got they, it. They ask, you, they ask you for an analysis. Yes. Which is like asking an oncologist, you know, about cancer. Yeah. And when they give you the sad truth, you want to debate with them, then don't ask me the question yeah. if you don't like the answer. There you go. But now, now having... Now, having said that, the Hunter Biden issue and the Bidens, I mean, you know, the, the Republicans are basically engaged in this. We're going to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. You know, uh, last week it was oh, well, payments from uh, Joe Biden to Hunter Biden or Hunter Biden to Joe Biden amount about $1,500 a month. OK, so So over the course of the year, they were going to buy they were they were transacting enough to buy a used Honda Civic. It was going to take them, what, 50 years at this rate to, to engage in some substantive exchange of money? Yeah. I mean, what, how stupid was this? I mean, basically, it was about a car, okay? Yeah. Uh, but, Which, know, by the way, this, Hunter Biden
1: what, uh, is not, by the, he's one of those people that you just, everyone has one in their extended family, just a no good Nick. And they may have chemical yeah. problems or they may have judgment problems or they may just have problem problems. And, you know, I, I would just I, – I think that the the glass house um, a parable is very, very well – used here. Like, find me, because I bet you if we got as busy as the Republicans have gotten on Hunter Biden, every single one of those people on that committee has their own Hunter Biden problem somewhere. And if they don't have it, they'll have it soon. So what do you Have you ever been quoted like completely out of context where you just were like, "Uh, I, I said, what?
3: Yeah, exactly. Because so I'll use the logic. You know, when somebody invokes something, I'll say, "Okay, well, then if we go down that road in terms of logic, then the following is true." And rather than take the whole statement, they'll ju- they'll use the the following is true part. And uh, well, uh, Steve just made a fascist statement. <laughs> no, I was trying to make it uh, uh, the point that if we follow your logic, that takes us to the fascist argument. Yes. But, you know, you can take anything out of context.
1: Yes, you can. And,
3: and I. I and you're absolutely right. I mean, if you're old enough to remember Billy Carter and uh, the, the, a lot of the Clinton relatives, not to mention the, the, what, everything that transpired with the Bush family. I mean, again, every presidential family has got these people. Yep. You know, they seek to capitalize on the fact that the, a relative is in the White House and they're going to exploit it for whatever they can. OK, the, the person in the White House is not responsible for everyone they're related to. There, well, sorry, i mean, let it's let's, not the way life works.
1: It's not the way. And let's let's make that on the mic. Level, I mean, there. Are, I don't know if you have perfect kids or kids at all, but there, there was a conversation I had with one of my kids at one point when he was making what we like to call unwise decisions, and and I said to him, and I and he knew I meant it that the the outcome of these unwise decisions will be yours to handle. Mommy will let you handle it all by yourself if, if you make these bad decisions and then you will see where the bad decisions will lead you. I think it's very difficult if you're in public life, though. I mean, it only gets worse if you let people take the consequences of their bad decisions because it all starts to blow back right on you. The- yeah, and, and let's face it,
3: the Republicans are counting on the fact that a lot of their voters are not terribly well informed. They have only one or two sources of information. So when they, you know, they throw out this nonsense that it's the old story about, you know, somebody prints something and then they print a retraction. Well, everybody read the story, the initial story. Nobody read the retraction. Yes. So it doesn't do much good. so Even though a lot of they're not people who sit around all day debunking this nonsense. Because in order to set the the, the, the people straight, set well, people
1: straight with regard to what's going on, it's worse and, than and, the, and, the retraction situation. It, it's worse than the retraction situation. It's you're looking at a source that will not retract until you haul them into court and make them pay millions of dollars. A lot of the time, or exactly. there or there's somebody who said who somebody who said, and they they're scofflaws anyway, and they're on YouTube or they're on one of these uh, alternative. "quote close quote news sites and good luck even finding out who owns it or or where the money's going you'd have to have you you you'd have to have your own business selling life-changing vitamins and nuclear war fallout shelters you can build yourself. Anyway, I thank you Steve, good yeah. to hear from you and we'll That's talk it. again one day. WCPT just about 20 minutes past the hour. Um I understand that patty is going to be in today um and that's good <laughs> very good very important um and i was just handed huh oh look i can take a phone call i can talk to lee in evanston right this minute on the holiday yeah hi, uh,
4: hi lee my name is lee Knoll. uh Truly, you've done a great job substituting for people. I just hope you get a permanent slot sometime.
1: Well, you know um, what? I, I kind of like, can I just say, I don't know if you're a grandparent at all. I am not. But I hear from grandparents that it's much more fun to be a grandparent than a parent because you don't have to do any of the discipline. And you don't have to be tough. You can just show up and have fun for a few days and get all of the glory. And that's kind of what it's yeah. like to fill in here on WCPT. I have all of the fun and none of the responsibility. So this is great for me. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's the best. I'm like the grandparent, <laughs> even though I'm I'm not old enough. But I'm like the grandparent of WCPT. I just show up with toys. Everybody yeah, loves I mean,
4: me. You, you go home tired, but you have, you've got a big smile on your face. There you go.
1: So how did your no, holiday
4: go? On. To say on this issue about uh, you know the relatives getting together for dinner and yeah. holidays yeah. and uh, not being able to talk to each other, uh, I have a different strategy than, than your psychologist or whatever it was that was just on. Uh, you can't talk to them about issues because you know they got one side, you got one side. So what, you, what I would say is that the first thing you do is say, Bob, do you know what fascism is? And he'll say, "Huh? What's fascism? And I say, "Well, you know, it's what Hitler used to divide the country. And what he did was, you know, and then started explaining it slowly." And the guy's going to suddenly say, Oh, that's why we're divided. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because. So you know he's going to go read the book.
1: No, <laughs> I wish. Wouldn't it be nice? I don't think so. Huh? No, I, alas. Yeah. Alas. I think. But you know what? I'm glad that this holiday season has left you feeling optimistically. That's a good way well, to yeah. feel. That if you only explain something in what we all think is sensible English to people, that that, that will. But in there are. I used to laugh at the idea that you're not entitled to your own facts, but now I think there are really people who have their alternate facts. And I, I yeah. yeah, they do have them and they're not giving them up anytime soon. Thank you for calling WCPT. If you want to join us by text or by phone, um, how you managed the political divide this holiday, I would love to hear it. I, I I think seven-layer dip is also very useful for not having to carry on a long conversation. Oh, guacamole, amazing! Or you can always... This is... I, I don't celebrate Christmas, but I don't think you can ever go wrong complimenting somebody's tree. Although I did see some political tree decor advertised. That would be the limit, putting political decor on your tree. I just... I, I just... I wouldn't know what to do if I walked into somebody's house and they had a tree festooned with anybody, even my even my beloved Joe Biden. I, I don't want to see a political tree. Just could you please, could we have one little t- sacred corner of the universe that isn't festooned with your politics, even if your politics are my politics? Uh, this... From the text from Andy. Hi, Turi. Happy holidays. Uh, Thanks to you and John and Patty for giving us a break and occasionally talking about the arts, theater, culture, in the city. I do love that. Just wait till you hear who you get to meet in a few moments. Just wait. Oh, I'll tell you. Lee Bay architecture, writer, lecturer. He has an artist soul, and he's going to talk about the, the strange future fate of our, um, Thompson Center downtown. So we'll talk to him in a minute. Uh, none of the other stations ever do it, which is a shame. Well, I don't know. Some of them do. Be fair. Be fair. Some stations do. So much wonderful music, comedy, theater in the city. I guess positive stories Uh, Don't build ratings. I don't know about that. I, I think you're not quite being fair, Andy. We need to give props to at least two other stations I've heard in the last week, um, talking about arts, theater, culture. So I'll take, I'll take the kudos though from me. In any event, Happy New Year. Better times are coming aren't they? We hope, we sincerely hope. We do uh, if you have a strategy for getting through the holiday with the relatives who do not uh, forget seeing eye to eye at this point, you just basically like them to be on on the same on the same floor plan as you would be fine. They could be even in the next political room, but some some people in the family uh, seem to have occupied. Their own territory now. They've staked it out. They're going to defend it. Worse yet, they're going to try and dra- drag you into it if they can. How do you manage? And what have you ever texted or written or said where it's just been completely taken out of context? We're talking a little bit about Hunter Biden's text. When he was in the throes of his addiction and going through rehab, and when he he referenced some family lore uh, that the hunter and hunter and his twin brother beau had to fork over a portion of their um working earnings while they were in school to help pay for their room and board, which their father thought was important and and I by the way I'm one of those parents who also thinks it's important it was. I will digress here for a moment and say that it was one of the um, original – I don't have a lot of schisms in my worldview between myself and my spouse, but the spousal unit was raised in a family where the parents felt that their greatest gift was to send the kids through college debt-free, and they did not require any sort of contribution financial from, from the kids, although the kids worked. And in my household, it was sort of the opposite. We had a sink or swim attitude when I went to university. It was like, great, pick your school. You're, know, We'll give you this amount of money and then you're on your own. Then it wasn't much. So one of my main memories of college was um, carrying drinks around in a disco and then a jazz club. That That is – I probably remember that as well as I remember anything I learned in literature or history. So when I got married – The conversation was about, well, even if we can send the kids to school without asking them to contribute, is that the right thing to do? And it was my opinion uh, that they should at least contribute something so that they valued what they were getting and so they understood what it cost to provide it for them. It's still a leitmotif of argument, occasionally is you know do they do they understand how privileged they are and i i actually think highly of president biden for insisting that his boys pay a portion of their education costs but this this light motif of the biden household is now being turned on its ear by the republicans because hunter texted his daughter saying well just be glad you don't have to give half of whatever you make to pop And again, I can think of so many things. I can think of, as a talk show host, the worst. I will now tell you the worst. Um, I was on the air filling in in San Francisco. And it was during the Iranian earthquake. And I was talking about what kind of financial support we should give to Iran which has never ceased regarding us as the great Satan since they took over our embassy. And something that a caller said was attributed to me and and taken out of context. And it was, I mean, it ended up fine. I ended up getting a better job on a better station in L.A. But for a moment there where you realize you are completely helpless because the quote, close, quote, journalists who are writing this, all they have to say is allegedly, allegedly, Tory said, blah, 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 or Tory's reportedly said, blah, blah, blah. And they can stick anything. And so this Hunter Biden thing, Hunter Biden said that he gave half his earnings. And then they are implying of Burisma money to his father sharing in the guilty hall. And I'm thinking, out of context, babe, context is everything. Giving us context in a moment for the repurposing of the Thompson Center, which is now owned by everybody's favorite search engine, Google, um, will be someone I've been wanting to, to speak with for years. year. I just think so highly of his work. Lee Bay will be with us in just a moment. It's half past two, WCPT Chicago's Progressive Talk.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive WCPT 820.
1: It is Joan Esposito's show. I'm in for Joan this week and next. So Joan gets to take a holiday well deserved. It's a lot of work. Um, But one of the pleasures of hosting a talk show and one of the pleasures, I suppose, for you of listening is all the people you get to virtually meet when you do it. And this gentleman is someone I have been wanting to meet for just years. Um, Lee Bay, welcome to WCPT. Thank you for joining us.
5: Thank you, Turi. Good to be here. And I got to say, I follow you since your days at the Big 89. Oh, so my gosh. The feeling is mutual. You are not yeah. old
1: enough. You are not. You must have been listening in diapers or something. Uh, <laughs> you must have had scared. like a top so, 40 soul when you were a toddler, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, let me let me just say, you you have written pieces over the years that made, and, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Lee Bay is an architecture writer. He's an artist. He's a writer. You have a, a book coming out about Southern, South Chicago architecture. Is that right? Just want to make well, sure. We- well, Yeah.
5: Uh, uh, yes, thank you. Um that book Southern Exposure is the overlooked architecture of Chicago's South Side. Uh, that's out actually um but I'm working on another book that looks at West Side architecture, so it's my writing and photography.
1: Oh, that's terrific. I I loved um I love the Chicago Architecture Open House because I actually can arm myself with things that you've spoken about as well as the cheat sheet from the architecture society when they do the open house. And, and then I feel like I'm, I'm doubly prepared for whatever I'm going to see. And one of the cool things about Chicago is it has neighborhoods where if you don't have a reason to go, you might never ever see them. And your work gives people a reason to go. And, and I love that about it but the reason Thank you. you're welcome and i think and i want to make sure that i'm attributing this correctly was it you who a few years ago wrote a piece about the public art when these big buildings are sold and what happens to it because if that was you 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 mentioned the the Thompson Center had some public art that might be vulnerable um, if and when the building changed hands and and some of it I believe is missing altogether already what was that this was years ago so forgive my my bad memory but was that you who who drew that to our attention
5: you know that there were there are others but we certainly did at the Sun times I think I wrote editorials about it um, the people say that the big one outside goes to went to the artist or if it isn't there it's going to the art Institute and um, but there is a program for for them to um, de um, the art that's inside the building too so I, I, I should check in you got me re- got me thinking to make sure that none of the wines are missing but uh, but yeah. I, think, I think supposedly there's a way to, that they're you know actually getting rid of it with some that's not not selling it, but at least putting it in other places and that kind of
1: thing. Yeah, I think um, I know that there are some uh, maquettes of big public sculptures at the Art Institute that I just saw, and it, I saw a small version of the piece outside the Thompson Center. So. It's been a public conversation, a private conversation. People wanted to tear down the Thompson Center. People who worked in the Thompson Center just hated it, hated it, hated it. They boiled. They froze. It was kind of like Chicago's weather uh, in a microcosm inside a building where one day it's 30 below and the next day it's 90. Um, and, and so it was not a loved building. Um, and And people thought it was going to be taken down. But now what's about to happen to it?
5: Well, uh, Google, the tech giant, um, is um, going to next year, beginning next year, uh, they bought it or they're buying it, and they and they're going to essentially turn into their Chicago headquarters. And as a result of that, as a, as a consequence of that, there, it, it looks like that they're correcting many of the things that were wrong with the building, uh, such as the the exterior glass, which creates the temperature conditions that you talked about, uh, making it more sustainable. Um, and, but also preserving the atrium. And we don't, quite, we don't quite know what they're going to do with the materials and the color uh, from what they've showed us so far. But the end result is um, the building won't, won't be torn down and will be preserved or saved and, and, and renovated.
1: And, of course, once Google owns it, there will be a lot less access, I'm guessing, for the public because they're notoriously – having lived in the Bay Area for several years, I can tell you there they are – if anyone is privacy-focused – and if anyone has more data of ours that we no longer have private, it, it's a, it's Google. Uh, it, it's kind of a one way, you know. They they suck up all of our data, but they don't want anything of theirs um, revealed to the public in in a general sense. So, do you anticipate that people will be able to come in? I understand there are supposed to be some retail spaces in the building.
5: Yes, and and um, and they're redoing. They're redo, they they plan to redo the plaza spaces outside the building. you know, but but you're absolutely right. I mean that's the question that google they're, they're, they're kind of um, uh, doling out the information a little bit at a time. So we don't know how open the building is going to be to the public. Um, uh, it looks like um, that the atrium floor, first floor space may remain open just from the renderings that they've shown. Uh, from the exterior, and they talk about the idea of being outside the building and looking in and inside the building looking out, but uh, but these are questions that, that we have to get answered um, beginning of the new year.
1: Well, do they have to answer anybody 's questions, or can they just go up up your nose? We're Google, we do what we want?
5: You know I guess they can, uh, but I think in a town like Chicago where um, you know where where architecture can be a blood sport, you know, people, people will demand answers to this. Um, uh, certainly the architecture critic, me, I will. But, but beyond that, I think people who engage this building, who remember this building, you know, they're, going, they're going to want to know. Um, uh, and I think that the, hopefully the city officials that will approve the permits for this uh, renovation as it goes on will also answer, will also ask those questions. How open will this building be?
1: And, and with the understanding that there's nothing they, this gets filed under, you can't make us. Um, but, and I don't even know if Google cares anymore what the public thinks of, of it in general. Um, they're sort of on their own, in their own private Idaho, as the B-52s would have sung. Um, is there a sort of a, well, you know, who are you to complain? We saved the building. It wouldn't exist if not for us. What, have you any idea of what their attitude is about involving the public at all?
5: You know, you know, so far, so far, um, although, again, the information that they're giving out, uh, the renderings a few weeks ago showing the new building, you know, it's it's been, you know, kind of dealt out slowly, but there does seem to be, at this point, there does seem to be an openness. They're not, um, and they seem to be at least aware that they're, they've got a former formerly public building uh, that, they'll, that they'll have stewardship over and that this is different than, you know, buying some space at Fulton Market or, or, or someplace. So w- w- we'll see. But, but, uh, but you know, but it's up to the public and to the journalism community here in Chicago and to the elected officials, of course, to keep them on track and call them the task. But they get too secretive.
1: So, in a way, this is about burnishing their public citizen, good citizen image. Um, I'm guessing. Spe- speaking of image, uh, Helmut Jahn who who designed this thing, um, had at one point come up with an idea of just building a skyscraper next to it. I don't know how that was. I guess to generate revenue to to support this. In a general sense. When architects build a building that doesn't really work for the people who are supposed to work or live in it, what happens to their careers when when they do something like that?
5: Good question. You know, in the case of Helmet, um, when the building opened in 1985, uh, you know, it almost, well, I won't say it sank his career, but it certainly made him kind of persona non grata. In Chicago. Um, You know, the big competition after that was the uh, competition to build the, uh, what's now the Harold Washington Library. Uh, He was a finalist in that, but didn't get that commission. So it it did hamper his career, but uh, for a bit. But I think that people also understood that the building that he designed is not quite the building that was built. It got what they call uh, value engineered. That's a great term. Isn't never, it? I have not heard
1: that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Back up. Value engineered. That's like, yes. this is what we want, but the knockoff of it you can get on Amazon for 25 cents kind of thing?
5: You well, know, Pretty much. It's like you uh, do a kitchen remodel and you want to have granite countertops, but then you realize somewhere in the project that you can only afford the fake laminate, so you get that, right? So,
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so it's kind of like that. You know, I'm just uh, imagining,
1: and, I'm like imagining Helmut Jan submitting a design for these windows and somebody going, are you kidding? And then, well, I saw that at Home Depot. It looked exactly the same. We'll get one of those. No one will know.
5: No one will know. No. That's right. That's right. And, you know, and, and what's forgotten about it is that the um, the mechanical contractor who was the person, the, the, the contractor uh, that was the company that was that was uh, in charge of creating the heating and air conditioning for this building, they went out of business. They got sued out of business. Um, I think it was Lester Knight um, and Company, bec- largely because of this. So, you know, um, he designs, you know, was possibly a, a great building. It gets cheapened off along the way, and um, and then kind of messed up by, uh, you know, contractors who just couldn't execute. What, what, you
1: know, what, what it would have been planned. Wow. See, this is a perspective I didn't have. Now, let me ask you, this this being a building in Chicago, in the heart of Chicago, and we're all familiar with the Chicago way, and if we weren't familiar, we were just reminded with the Burke verdict, um, mm-hmm. was there any, you know, was there any pay to play that you know of in, in the building of this? It would shock me if there had not been. Um, were any yeah. of these contractors... Friends of Burks, for example you know um, in,
5: in Chicago is small so you probably figured that might be the case but uh, I've not found and I got to go back to the old because I was still in college when this thing was built I got to go back to some of the old um, newspaper articles but I, I don't think it was that I, I think it was the building that really like m- many buildings do well not, not many but some buildings do that really test tested the limits of what was possible engineering-wise, had a budget larger than what the state could afford, and then to make the building come in under budget or come in within the budget, uh, some compromises were made that made the building not as good as it could have been.
1: So you mentioned the heating and air conditioning systems, but those were really sort of captive, like almost literally pheasant under glass, to this tremendous... A greenhouse, more or less. Um, what were some of the other things that got re, what was the word you value engineered? Was that your term? Yes well, yes. well, I love that. I'm going to keep that. I mean, that's going to come up in my marriage. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm writing it down. <laughs> value engineered. All right. Because when my husband says to me, Well, we can't do this, we can do that, I can say, Oh, you want to value engineer the Airbnb so that I only get cold water? <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. So this is good. You've, you've helped my marriage as well as the show today, Mr. Bay. So why? why thank you. you're welcome. It's not easy to do that marriage. I don't know, about once a year, we is this salvage- salvageable? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, another ten years. So, um, the, were the windows one of the things that were value engineered? Uh, were they supposed to be better than they are? Yeah, they were. I mean,
5: um, the the new glass on the building for you know going forward is going to be triple pane, triple pane insulated glass. They had glass not quite to that. Um, uh, to tell you standards but they had glass that could that could get close to that oh. um that that you know that that would have made the building more uh you know less uh vulnerable to the heat and the cold uh if you recall around the uh the base of the building there's this kind of stone there that's kind of it, it's a it's a take on a red white and blue but i think it's it's
1: um, yeah. It kind of looks like and, a carnival booth there, as I recall. I might be missing Something like that. Is that right? It, well, it does. Yeah. Carnival uh, booth. It, it does. Oh it, Lord, it, it, <laughs> our public building. Our city. Our state government building. Well, it looks like a carnival booth. It looks like you should be able to get some cotton candy right over there. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, it, well,
5: well, well. Some of that stonework uh, and the application of it also got kind of. Um, uh, value engineered as well. And, you know, know, in the recent decades, it kind of began to fall off and then they had to replace it or or at least take it off. So there there were a lot of compromises made. But where there wasn't compromises made um, is that great atrium, this great public space on the inside. You know, uh, they actually, nobody remembers, but they actually did get the heating and air conditioning right as decades passed. And oddly enough, ironically enough, it's a cooling center uh, it was, you know, in, in the summertime because uh, oh. you you could go in there. So totally against the way it was, but the, but it still leaked on occasion, uh, <laughs> and which was not good when it, no. when it rained. No, not good. But
1: nope. the,
5: but but that that space of the inside is is, is just really the the signature piece that um, you know that I think if it can be used in a way kept public in a way. Uh, really will be an asset to the
1: city. Well, let me ask you about some of those multi story interior spaces and some of those glass enclosed spaces. We've, we've had one redone at Navy Pier or one that's in the process of being redone at Navy Pier. And we had a massive interior space at Water Tower Place and, and that may go. And worse yet, at Water Tower Place, um, and I, I speak from a, a somewhat connection to the topic. The public have used the interior space at Water Tower Place for some of the saddest purposes you can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there any fear that 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 this interior space, if it were public, could also be vulnerable in this way to people who who want to use it for very sad purposes?
5: Well, you know, um, when the building was first built. Um, the kind of the rails, the railings around the, the atrium when you go on the upper floors were a little bit lower and people did do that. I remember when I was a young reporter at the Old City News Bureau, I, think I covered one back in 88. Oh, gosh. Um, and, uh, you know, so, but they but they raised the, um, the, uh, the rails a bit and I, I can't remember the last time anything like, like that has happened, but, you know, that, that's always a, you know, concern when you make these, these interior spaces because it's about making it open enough so that you, you know, when you're up on the floors, you get this sense of, wow, you know, and weightlessness, yeah. uh, but also yeah. balance that against, you know, people wanting to do um, or, or people, you know, who who, are, who would do something else in those spaces. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's a hard one to think about. Let's talk about the colorful glass on the outside of the Thompson Center. There's, is that glass, those peach things, those those red things? What, is it glass or is it something else?
5: Oh, now you know it's like, yeah. I think it is glass, um, uh, but maybe there's a coating over it. All all of that will go though. I mean, you, it'll 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 appear at least from the rendering, um, you know, really transparent and not kind of horizontally or vertically expressed as it is now. Those glass, uh, the, the glass work, but sort of more more horizontally expressed.
1: What was um, the point uh, of those colorful? I always looked at that and went, What what why are those there like that? And if you even if you've never seen the Thompson Center I- interspersed amongst the the normal looking glass are these sort of colored rectangles of if memory serves their they're salmon and they're red and they're blue, is that right? Is that
5: yeah. You know, it's you know the the building itself is and, and this is one of the things why uh, one of the reasons why preservationists wanted to keep this building is because I think that as years go, as years went on, it would be as years go on, the building's design would be more appreciated. What w- what the building is, colors and all, it's a remix of all the elements of a traditional public building. So the dome. When you think about a public building, a government building, you think about a dome, right? Uh, uh, maybe not in Chicago. We don't have them, but uh, you know, you, when you go to you know Montgomery, Alabama, or other places, and you see state buildings, there's a dome. Yep. Well, that atrium on the inside is kind of that dome, oh. um, and the and the red, white, and blue of the uh, of the color of the, of the nation is uh. remixed in and the coloring of the building. Uh, so it has all the elements of a traditional building, but purposely tricked out in a way so that it's. It's modern also, you know, keep in mind, and we forget this, that, you know, this building was designed, you know, the years after Watergate, almost immediately following Watergate. And there is this sense that government should not only be more open, uh, you know, just in terms of how it functioned uh, and that it should be the buildings that contain it should also be open. So in theory, the open atrium uh, going up before 9-11, you go up on the floors and Everything was laid bare. That was all part of trying to make government more trustworthy, uh, to to improve the, the the image of government. It's look. It's like saying, "Look, it's open. There's no smoke filled rooms here. There's no back rooms here. Everything is open. Come see. Come look." And that was a heck of a statement for the time.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm so. See, this is one reason I really wanted to have you to explain this because these buildings, all of them, there, there's. There's a reason why they're built the way they're built. And and it's not just because the architect thinks it'll look pretty. Usually if you ask her you ask him, there's some sort of inspiration that's greater than the structure itself. So thank, thank you for explaining that one. As long as I have you here, I have to ask you about Chicago's strange... Um, in, in, in the downtown, Chicago's strange habit of obscuring really fascinating pieces of art and architecture with other stuff. And I'm thinking right now of, I think it's a Miro statue that's almost completely obscured by oh, yeah. a bus transit station. And you need to actually be willing to sacrifice your life and be hit by a CTA bus in order to see what I consider one of the more charming pieces of art in downtown. Um, what what the heck? Does nobody talk to anybody when they put this stuff up?
5: Oh, that that was maddening, and and, and, it, and it happened in the years that I was away from journalism. I think Blair came at the Tribune wrote about it, uh, but you're, but but you're absolutely right for the read, for the view for the listeners who might not be familiar. There's the Picasso, right, which faces faces south across um, Washington, and it faces right across the street from. Uh, from the Moreau sculpture, which is in it's, it's the I still call it the Brunswick building, but I guess it's the it's George Dunn building, which is this great um, uh, kind of concrete and looks like a it's like a womb, uh, you know, like a, wom- a woman, you know, giving birth or, or having a womb. It's a great sculpture. And you're right, they put um, this loop-link bus shelter right in front of it, which ruins the relationship between the two. You know, I live for the day, and I know maybe the Department of Transportation and the CTA probably think, probably have bigger fish to fry. But I, I live for the day where that thing is removed and and to and to return that access uh, and that relationship between those two pieces. The, you know, way, the way it was intended.
1: You know, the, the dark part of me, the part that I I, I try very hard to stomp down because to, that we, we bring Tori in here and she says all these things. All that has to happen, all that has to happen is one person, maybe someone, you know, with only a few weeks to live, decides that they are going to make a personal sacrifice. And then it hits the paper that, you know, Susie Jones, age 112, gave her life in order to properly see the Miroslav sculpture and was hit by a passing city bus, and, and it can all be fixed.
5: Well, that's true. Sadly, we do we do, do things like that, don't we? You know, if there's a tragic loss of life or some misfortune, all of a sudden, you know, as a, as a society, especially as a city, we Kind of get right after that. Yeah, well, uh, not hoping- that
1: I'm recommending that Susie Jones, age 112, with a life-ending terminal illness that's due to finish her off any minute now, give give her life in this cause. But uh, you know, that's how it'll happen. It's not like the city will suddenly have some kind of awakening and go, you know, we really screwed that up. They they don't they don't do that, do they?
5: I'm I'm, I'm hoping that better angels prevail and the city does. Kind of do that, you know. Um, uh, but you know, who who knows? Who knows?
1: Well, as we say in our household, put put it on the list. Just just put that on the list. There, we'll we'll get to that <laughs> eventually. Just just put it on the list. Um, is there? Since I have you here, would you talk a little bit about your West Side book that's coming up and some of the structures that you want to call people's attention to um, in the neighborhood where your next your next book is profiling.
5: Well, hopefully my publisher isn't listening because I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit behind. But what I, <laughs>
1: it's always what that I, way. Don't worry, don't worry. It's okay. It's going to be fine because there'll be eleven fifty nine fifty nine when you're sitting there at your computer and you know you're about to have to give back your advance, and then it will magically get done.
5: That's right. That's right. 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 Uh, well. You know, but there's so much. You know, if uh, if the the argument of the first book, Southern Exposure, was that the architecture of the south side was overlooked by by those who don't live on the south side, I mean, I mean, obviously we Southsiders know what we have. Uh, the west side architecture is probably even more so. So, so the book is going to be looking at things like, for instance, um, there's this part of the west side, bordering Oak Park, right at the edge of the city, called Austin Austin Village. Um, and there's these great late 1800, early 1900 houses uh, that are that are between Lake Street and let's say Ohio to the south, mm-hmm. to the north, and Austin and um, maybe I don't know how far I can't remember how far east it goes, but two or three blocks east of Austin. And it looks like a slice architecturally. It looks like a slice of Oak Park that just migrated to the to the to the to the east. Great architecture. Uh, I photographed one of the best with well, the best house there, which also I think is one of the best uh, 1890s houses in the city. And uh, I photographed that in the fall with the falling leaves, and huh. it's just absolutely great. Um, so we'll be looking at that. Um, we're also, we're, now I, I think my publisher and I are still trying to argue whether uh, Humboldt Park and Pilsen should be included. I think. Humboldt Park is the north side. They think it's the west side. <laughs> uh, but it, and uh, well, well, where and do so they I'm live?
1: Good. Where where do they live? Your publisher? Are they like arguing this point from like Des D- Plaines or something? Or do they actually? <laughs> Well, he,
5: the editor lives in Chicago, so okay. I figure I can, I can make a I can make a good argument for it. Yeah, but uh, but, but certainly, um, Pilsen, which which you know, uh, which I think is you know great architecture. of The Czechs and Bohemians who came here yeah. in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, they brought a bit of the homeland with them, and you can see in an architecture, and you can see that expressed on 18th Street, but also the uh, the, the Mexican American community. Um, that has been there since at least the '60s. They've also put their stamp architecturally on it with, um, you know, the uh, uh, the uh, the arch over 26th Street, Little Village. So it's just great. So we'll be looking at that. Uh, also looking at um, Cook County Courthouse, which you know, you no one notices the architecture because either you're in trouble. With the <laughs> going-
6: this is WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter.
0: Joan Esposito, live, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Turi Ryder.
1: Why, well, yes, I am a radio personality and author. And by the way, um, the radio personality thing, you can get that all out of your system right here. But if you want to know about the book, you can just Google Turi Ryder book. It should come right up. And um, it's a—it's if you're curious at all, where did this woman come from? If you were fascinated to hear Lee Bay say, I remember you from your top 40 days. Well, you can read all about it and it's supposed to make you laugh. So you can. And, and I just did the audiobook, So that's up now. Yep. I read the whole thing. The whole thing. Perfect for long drives. Very long drives. I think it could circle the earth a few times and still be listening to me reading that book. Speaking of circling the earth a few times, we have another suburb checking itself in as a. It, how should I say this? Disreputable, I don't think covers it. Um. I don't have really words for how much I would like to vilify the suburbs that are getting buses of migrants from Texas who just go, oh, you know what we're going to do with these 33 people? We we can't manage them in our whole wealthy town of, in this case, Elmhurst. We're going to buy them all tickets and send them to Chicago. Mind you, I don't have any problem with looking after these folks in Chicago, but it is fascinating that... The city of Elmhurst, a wealthy city with beautiful homes where a family member of mine used to live and where I've spent some pleasant hours strolling its beautiful parks and admiring its lovely architecture and wonderful small town atmosphere. For some reason, Elmhurst doesn't feel that it is in any position to receive 33 people who need assistance. No, they can't manage that in Elmhurst. The first bus that stopped there had 58 people, then another 33 people, each of whom was provided somehow with a ticket on Metro to Chicago. And why are these buses stopping in the suburbs? Not because they think, oh, there are fewer people being brought here, so maybe the folks here could find some space could find some room at the local park district or maybe some resources. No, no, they're stopping in Elmhurst and it's ilk because the city of Chicago has said you're essentially engaging in human trafficking when you drop these people off at the landing pad here and then run away. And so we're going to start impounding your buses and we're going to ticket your drivers. And so these Disgusting human beings, I don't want to hear you're just doing your job. I really do not want to hear they're just doing their jobs. No, they're not. It is not your job to traffic in poor, desperate souls who are are incapable, given a language barrier, of figuring out where they are, what's happening to them, without resources, without legal consultation, who are basically being bundled up like some kind of UPS package and shipped to Chicago— you're at fault, you drivers. You're at fault, you bus companies. You're absolutely at fault, Governor Abbott. And if you're engaging in human trafficking, the city of Elmhurst should, A, impound your bus to get your driver, same as the city of Chicago, and B, step up, grow whatever you have to grow, <laughs> and take some responsibility. You just too busy? I mean, I love the big, fat excuse that the mayor gave. He He said he showed up there to make sure that people were safe. I want to get the quote right. That's Mayor Scott Levin. He went to the train station after the bus had arrived. Um, he said that... Well, I do want to get the quote right because that, that was not me quoting, by the way. Um, he he said they didn't have to wait very long. And I will find the quote of of what his big fat excuse was of shipping them off. And again... I don't have a problem welcoming these people. We need workers in the city. We are working on putting resources together. It has absolutely affected my neighborhood that folks are coming. Nevertheless, and I may have some views that are different than your views about how we should be monitoring people coming into this country. I do not believe in open borders. This is a country. It has borders. They need to be respected. People need to be processed in an orderly fashion. And part of that would involve sending money to create not just security but also immigration courts and um, job referrals and interpreters and health care services and all kinds of things that these folks are not getting before they go elsewhere. But Governor Abbott doesn't care. There was some guy who was interviewed coming off a bus who said that he had somebody who was waiting to welcome him in Georgia. But now he had no money to get to Georgia. The governor doesn't care about that. They're just pawns. They're just chips. And all of these suburbs that are participating in Governor Abbott's plan by refusing to impound Or these buses and arrest the drivers and ticket the drivers. They're they're just co-conspirators as far as I'm concerned. You show up in a suburb with a bus full of migrants, the least that that suburb can do is mobilize itself. And if it's unfair to you that nobody told you the bus was coming, number one, I don't believe you. And number two assuming you didn't know, then why don't you figure it out the same way that Chicago has had to figure it out by calling in your emergency personnel and making arrangements just the way Chicago had to. You're just perpetuating your, oh, we're helpless. We can't do anything. Yes, you could. You absolutely could. Kankakee, Elmhurst, Aurora, all these places have just shoved the buses, the buses, passengers onto trains and, and moved them into Chicago. Not because you feel these people will be better served, but because you don't want to deal with it because you're selfish people and you don't want your town disturbed by the kind of people you feel don't have the financial wherewithal to fit in with the rest of your town. And what's more, a lot of you, not all of you, a lot of you city administrators are, are using this as a part of the same strategy Governor Abbott is using. You're trying to make the city of Chicago look bad. You're trying to use people to punish you're you're making these immigrants a, a bargaining chip. You're making them chattel. You're making them like livestock, and it's wrong. And I and I cannot believe. Well, I can believe. I was you know I came out of one of these towns. So not in our town. No, we're we're lovely people here. We're kind, generous. Look, we write big checks. Look at the checks we write. If, if you are so open-hearted, if you are so generous, if you are so helpful, if you are so caring, then instead of opening up your, your checkbook or your Zelle or however you pay for your contributions, how about you open up one of your precious Park District field houses and shelter some of these people there? How about you get some of your gorgeous suburban churches together and cook some meals for them right in your town? How about you do that? How about you get your tush off the table and actually do something for these folks instead of just shoving them along like it's a big conveyor belt and forgetting about the fact that they're human beings? Do you not think that these folks coming up from Texas would be just as grateful for a meal served to them in Elmhurst? Do you not think that they would appreciate a coat that was given to them to keep them warm in Chicago weather? That's very different than Texas weather or Venezuelan weather. Do you not think they would appreciate a coat that came to them in Elmhurst? Is there something wrong with your clothing in Elmhurst that you can't provide it to to people coming through? But don't can't they eat your food? Aren't they good enough to eat your food? You just don't care. It's Chicago's problem as far as you're concerned. These folks are not just a problem. They're people and there could be an asset. And you could actually have a chance to show that you're people too. Not likely. How do I know? I was, I was raised in one of those towns. I know exactly. We, we, it's all about how it sounds and not about what you do. Let's go to Maria. Welcome, Maria. You're on WCPT. Hi.
2: Hi. How are you? I, I am well. I was listening well. here. <laughs> I was listening here, and I'm like, 100%. I agree with you totally. You are saying out loud what I have been saying and what I have been thinking. These people are fleeing horrible conditions in their home. If you were living in a place that was peaceful, you had jobs, no problem, you would not leave. Right. These people are desperate. Yep. And they had to travel far. And then to be trafficked the way they've been done, like they're, uh, you know, cattle, no regards for their feelings. They're sending them to Chicago, which is a cold City with the weather, okay? We were totally ear prepared for this. But Abbott doesn't give a damn about that. He doesn't care about these people. He has used these people as political bombs. He has put Chicago in the middle of a political battle because he's. I better keep my mouth. Yeah.
1: I was going to say something. He's not a nice person. No, he is not a good person. Look, he really, I mean, all of his blah, blah. To be fair, it's hard in Texas. And I lived in California for a long time. It's hard along the border. They are truly overwhelmed. But they're getting a lot of aid from the federal government. And they could get more Mm -hmm. if the the Republicans weren't standing in the way of it. And at the very least, Mm -hmm. he could take some of this money and buy them warm winter clothes so that they don't show up up here freezing and he could i mean the 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 cynicism of not even telling the city when these buses are coming so that it's designed for these people to land with nobody to look after them and to, and to instead i mean how is it that these bus drivers um, don't know what they're doing. Of course they know what they're doing. Oh, and, and... They know what they're doing. Maria, here's a good one. I read in the story, and I forget if it was in the Daily Herald or the Sun-Times, that they were very proud of themselves for asking the conductor on the Metro train to open up a special car for the immigrants. Really? A special car? What is that? First of all, how do you, I've never, what do you just call Metro? I can't even call to find out when the when the train is delayed. You've got some special number where you just go, oh yeah, stick another car on there for us, please. How does that happen? And if it does happen, you must have known that these people were coming. So you must have known you were going to be playing hot potato with uh, almost a hundred people's lives. And what's the matter with with them that they can't ride in the car with everybody else. What does what that accomplish? Exactly. And this is the exactly. middle of the night. They... The middle of the night. Metro oh, is horrible. so crowded in the middle of the night. I've ridden Metro in the middle of the night. Y- you could set up housekeeping in there. Nobody would notice. There's nobody on it.
2: <laughs> exactly. You know, up- I agree with you about the suburbs. They're just They're just kicking the can along the lane because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want these people in their hometown they want to have their pristine image taken care of so they basically dump these people who are human beings yes. who have wishes yes. and thoughts yes. and desires. Yes. They care about their family, and they're fleeing because things are so bad there. Okay, and the city—I tell you though—there um, are clinics uh, that have been set up for the for those folks that have been coming. Yes. Uh, to get them to uh, get employment authorization as yep. soon as possible yep. to give them temporary. To protect the status We're
1: doing, we are doing. We are doing our best, but they could certainly do a little more than they're doing in Elmhurst and Naperville and all these other places I where agree. they're showing up. Thank you so I much for agree. calling. I appreciate it, and we'll we'll talk again. It is just about. 20 minutes after three, not quite. Um, And if you're making your way back from your holiday, we will have all the latest information for you. It's Joan Esposito's show. I am Tory Ryder. In for Joan. In a few moments, you're going to hear about a woman who made a big difference. She started her life in Harlem. Her art has gone everywhere. And you can see some of it here in Chicago. And we'll meet the curator of the show, um, American People, in a few moments on WCPT.
6: You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Tory Ryder.
1: It's 322. I am Tory Ryder. And Joan will be back. I believe her first day back is going to be the 8th. So I'm here for her and here for Edwin on Saturday. It has been a pleasure so far. I love I love the grandparent analogy. That's me. I come, I give out all the toys that go awaken. It's the best. Uh and thank you for being here with me. Um this from the text line and by the way, if you have thoughts on the ways that the suburban communities and the exurbs are handling uh Governor Abbott's latest effort to traffic in migrants. I would love to hear your thoughts, your text, 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. If your phone doesn't spell, which a lot, have you noticed this? A lot of the new phones don't have the numbers anymore, which is a bummer for me because that's the only way I could remember anything. If I had to remember a number, I'd make a word with the letters. And now no letters. I'm well and truly fixed um this came on the text line if only these migrants were fetuses they would get the utmost concern it's a good point they might indeed CBD, especially you. oh here would be better ne- never mind having the immigrants just be only fetuses you w- you want to have one immigrant say that they are carrying the other there's got to be a way to like stack stack them up so that you can get even more sympathy points from the arch right of Texas greg abbott the the trafficker in human beings maybe one adult could say that they actually are hold, hold on, pregnant okay, hold on, and then also say that the the others are are but make sure you know what this will work okay i thought about this out loud now Every single migrant, including the men, what the heck, all say you're pregnant. Every one of them. Men, say you're transgender and that you actually do still have a uterus. And just say that all of y'all are pregnant or you think you might be. And then the state of Texas might actually give you a hot meal and some warm clothes. Maybe. Maybe. Let's go to Marty in Oak Lawn. Hey, Marty. Welcome. You're on WCPT. Hi there.
7: Hi. Hi there. Yeah, I mean, um, I just wanted to chime in, um, you know, about the conditions that some of the people that were brought to Chicago on buses and the just lack of amenities that, that, that they came with. And I ran into a group that were staying at a police station over by the um, District 9 that was over by Ellis. 111 but anyway my friend runs a charity that's not too far from there so um around the building needed a lot of work and um she donate. She collects and donate shoes all over the world. And we asked these people, you know, hey, do you want to come and do some work with us? You know, in exchange for shoes. And and then we had like a very good. Um, it was it was a very good. You know, like they we, they were just very diligent, very very hardworking. and we and I made a lot of friends that I that I still talk to today. But the one thing they all needed were mattresses, you know. And people were sleeping on the floor. Families were sleeping on the floor in these police stations. I just think that um, statewide, we should have, like, enacted some kind of initiative that would have banned, you know, buses from bringing people in that are lacking, you know, resources, they are lacking, you know, critical You know, like stuff that you would need, like a phone with a translator app, you know. um, Yes.
1: Well, that's another thing that Governor Abbott could be doing when people come over the border. They could give them, and you don't need minutes. If you have a Wi Fi enabled phone, you can communicate with a translator app. You can use WhatsApp. You can use any of the internet based services. All you have to do is, you know, pass by a Starbucks and you can communicate with people. And you're absolutely right to send people. This way with with nothing to sleep on and nothing warm to wear. It it really is. It, it's not just trafficking. It should be a, a human rights crime. We're busy pointing our fingers at other people elsewhere in the world. Um, Abbott, as far as I'm concerned, is is. Uh, Guilty of of same, possibly worse, because we're in a position to do more. Thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. Let's go to – I'm looking for a name here. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Yeah, there are so many ways that we could be um, making people um, more welcome here, and and it wouldn't cost us much. And one of the things that we could do – I remember years ago – When I was volunteering in the Twin Cities, I became an adult literacy volunteer, and they had a wonderful... Slogan in the Lao back adult literacy training method, each one teach one. Um, and, and we could apply that to our houses of worship. If, if you have, and there are all these big churches all over the suburbs where, um, the, the congregations are either very active, engaged, and would be happy to, um, provide things for these folks coming, or there are congregations that are sort of teetering on the edge of, of oblivion. And they have these big buildings and nobody in them. And they could also step up. Um, they could they could come up with some sort of reasonable, feasible, and not particularly expensive plan. You don't have to take 200 people or 100 people. You could take a family. And if every church and synagogue and mosque in the Chicago area was willing to do personally for one family. This could all be taken care of, no problem, super fast. So um, can I take Bonnie's call? It sounds like she's a little distraught. We'll give it a shot. Bonnie, welcome. You're on WCPT.
2: Thank you. I'm really sorry about this. (laughs) I grew up in the housing projects of Chicago, and I know how awful it is to be ostracized and not anything decent. But I have I have two bathrooms, I have heat, I have electricity. I would love to have people here.
1: Those poor people. Well I have to say, because I can't, you know, just say take any two people off the street, but you can connect yourself and I think we there are a lot of resource pages now where you can volunteer in variety of capacities. And it sounds like you have a great will to do so. So um, I would recommend that you get in touch with one of the, uh, I think Catholic Charities is the biggest one. And if you get in touch with them, they can probably direct you to some other organizations in your area that are looking for some uh, version of help that you could provide. It sounds like your heart is plenty big, Bonnie. And, and I thank you for calling WCPT. I'm sure there are people who will appreciate your kindness and you'll find a way to do for them. It's just about 3.30. I'm Turi Ryder in for Ms. Esposito. She's out till the 5th. Um, In a moment, a woman who made a difference from her community to the entire world, her art is here in Chicago, will speak with the curator of the exped. I can't say exhibition all of a sudden, Um, (laughs) uh, with Faith Rengold um, in it prominently featured uh you may have uh, even bought her book tar beach for a child on your list this year she's 93 the artist herself and she's been making artwork for decades and some of it you should see you'll have a chance and we'll talk with the curator of that show in moments it's three thirty, wcpt the joan esposito show live local and progressive
3: hey girls what do you want to say for our new holiday ad
2: Well, happy holidays, obviously. Ava, oh wait, that is a good idea. We should tell people how your prices are super low and how your location is great so everyone can have access to acupuncture. Okay. And we should remind people that they need to take care of themselves and their health, especially during the holidays. That's great. Anything else? You should also tell them how they can buy gift certificates to give the gift of health to their loved ones. Oh, and that they can easily schedule an appointment at chikomaku.com.
3: That's great. You can call us at 773 853 773-853-0920, visit us at Milwaukee Devon & Nagel, or go to ShyComAcu.com.
2: Chikomaku.
3: Yes, chikomaku.com. And we wish you and yours a healthy and happy holiday season.
2: Bye!
0: Two years ago, the bipartisan infrastructure law was passed by Congress and signed into law. It was a once in a generation investment in America's infrastructure that strengthened the American economy and our global competitiveness while lowering costs for middle class families across the country. The law is rebuilding America's roads, railways, and bridges. It's created good paying clean energy jobs that boost middle class families and support domestic manufacturing. And it's tackling the climate crisis by protecting us from future natural disasters reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and expanding access to clean drinking water. But more must be done to combat the climate crisis so we build upon the progress we've made and don't go backward. Please call your representative in Congress at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. And tell them to keep investing in a clean energy future that fights climate change. Paid for by House Majority Forward.
6: You're listening to WCPT 820. Here's the latest Chicago weather update.
8: I'm meteorologist Ray Miller with a look at your forecast. Partly cloudy skies tonight with temperatures in the low 30s and light southwest winds. Wednesday, cloudy with highs reaching the lower 40s. On Thursday, we'll see a couple of showers with high temperatures reaching the low 40s. Friday, cloudy with high temperatures in the low 40s. Saturday, sunshine with highs near 40 degrees. Sunday, cloudy and highs in the upper 30s. New Year's Day, partly cloudy, highs in the upper 30s. That's the latest Chicago weather update. Right now, it's 41.
6: This is Chicago's Progressive Talk, 828. A. M., WCPT Willow Springs and online at WCPT820.com, where facts
0: matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author,
1: Surrey Ryder.
2: Oh, Sweet.
1: Well, the beauty of Live Local and Progressive Radio is that, you know, it's not a machine doing this. And so we are working very hard to reach our guest for this hour. She's supposed to be um, joining us to talk about the show she put together um, that is that is um, featuring Faith Rangold at the Museum of Contemporary Art. By the way... We haven't reached her yet. by the way. have you Have you had the opportunity over the holidays to show any visitors, family, um friends coming to town, some of our great um, cultural institutions? Which ones do you pick? It was interesting. I had a friend come in from Maine just before the holiday. And one of the things I wanted to take her to see that I didn't get a chance to, things kept, the universe kept conspiring against us, was the Chicago Cultural Center, formerly the Chicago Public Library. One of the things I love about the Chicago Public Library is that they always have an art show up and it's always uh, free to go to see the art. And so much. Art by underrepresented communities has an opportunity to be seen there. They even used to host, they don't anymore, they used to host um, the gallery of artists who have um, different physical, emotional, mental health challenges. That's now on the south side, I think in Bridgeport, I want to say. We've had um, some folks from that gallery and that studio talk to us. But when you bring people to Chicago, they often expect... They often expect that it's just going to be some kind of hotbed of crime, and we'll all have to strap our car keys to ourselves with, with a fingerprint double, double lock. I don't even know what. The, how do they think we live here? I, I'm always amazed when it's like when I lived in the Bay Area. If the Earth vibrated even a little bit, your phone would ring off the wall. Are you all right? Are you all right? There was an earthquake. And weirdly, the version that you get when you live in and around the city of Chicago. Are you all right? Are you all right? There was a carjacking. Well, yeah. Well, several million people live here. And that was one. I'm not saying you should walk around. The city of Chicago with, you know, money falling out of your pockets and you know, talking on your phone and not paying any attention to what's around you at three in the morning in a neighborhood with a lot of bars. I'm not I'm not saying you should do that. But when people come to Chicago, aren't they always amazed when you show them how beautiful it is? And and looking hearkening back to what we were just talking about. Um, when we welcome immigrants to Chicago, yes, it's cold here, but we have, as a city, warm hearts. We should be able to show people that this would be a beautiful place to make their home. They want to work. It's affordable. As big cities go, this is a really affordable one. Raina has texted to say, um, well, first Raina, Raina texted to Wait a minute, I want to make sure I get the right person with the right text here. Um, Rena has texted to say that Elmhurst is acting like, am I allowed to say, why don't I just say um, illegitimate child people? Elmhurst is acting like illegitimate children. (laughs) Because I don't know if I'm allowed to say the B word that means illegitimate children on this radio station. And I don't want to push my luck. I'd like to be invited back here at some point in the future. But when you do have people come, um, what what is the thing that you show them to change whatever preconceived notions they might have of your city or your suburb? When I when I grew up in a privileged suburb of this city, I would just get people – I mean people didn't come to visit me there because it was my parents' home. But the minute I came to the city and people started coming to visit, I made a point of showing them the the beautiful cultural richness. Nobody could believe the number of restaurants that were run by immigrants, the number of um, – positions held in the, in the hospitality industry by immigrants, the number of places that people who were coming to the city uh, and beginning on the economic success ladder were, were finding a foothold in the city of Chicago and working hard to do it. And that was a great—I felt almost like I was, you know, I I was an ambassador for welcoming immigrants and welcoming newcomers. And you may have had this same experience. If you have, I would love to hear about it. When you get to introduce people to our city, what are you proud of? What do you want to show them? Just for example— You might not think of it, but the community colleges, if your neighborhood has one, we just had um, the president of Malcolm X College on last weekend talking about the Kwanzaa Festival. I ran into someone uh, who lives in a north suburban enclave and was talking about the fact that they have a um, transitioning youth in their household who wishes to go into cosmetology as a profession. And everybody expected that this kid was going to go into the science, sciences. They are, they excel at their fancy suburban school district in the sciences. They've won prizes and been in fairs. But as part of this young person's transition, they wish to go into cosmetology. So what I said to this person's mother was, you know, uh, in Chicago, a community college, you, you can take a cosmetology certification at the community college. And this suburban person was like, Really? In Chicago? Really? Yeah. Really? You can get certified for practically free if you live in Chicago for any number of really cool occupations. Or if you already work in an occupation, like, for example, healthcare services, and you need to learn another language to better interact with your patients, you can learn that. The city of Chicago provides so much. And one of the reasons that I'm really looking forward to speaking with the guest we're going to meet in a moment, someone who has been more than a little critical of our present mayor, of whom I must tell you I have never been a big fan, Um, the alderman is going to talk about um, his his report card on our mayor, but I've been watching as our mayor has lately floated a plan to – uh, refocus Chicago on neighborhood schools which is basically his war on selective enrollment schools and we have talked about this on WCPT before but this whole idea that the selective enrollment high schools are not diverse it is a it's a bunch of chicken poop is what it is it is completely without statistical truth it's not true um The most diverse schools in Chicago, in many cases, are these selective enrollment schools. So the idea that your war on uh, science programs or STEM specialty schools or music specialty schools or academic specialty schools is somehow going to diversify Chicago is a bunch of hokum. I don't know that that's what the alderman who's coming to give his end of year report card about our mayor is going to be particularly charged up about. But it is one of the things that I'm particularly annoyed about, although I can't say it comes as a surprise. It's one of the reasons I wasn't enthused about this uh, voting for this mayor in the first place. Because he didn't see the value in having these jewels in Chicago's crown, these Wonderful selling points to families who have dedicated themselves to their children's education. And the thing that nobody wants to talk about, the ugly little truth of it, is that Chicago neighborhood schools can only do so much. They are not parents. They are schools. They can try and offer every possible service, but they can only do so much. I remember trying to organize Um, some support for the selective enrollment high school where our kids both went to school. And a lot of people think the selective enrollment high schools get everything while they don't. And I went in and I sat down with the then principal and I said, I'd like to figure out a way to get some more books for the library. And he didn't seem particularly engaged on that subject. And I said, so what, what do you really need around here? The library has no budget. So that's what I love. That's where I thought I'd start. And he looked at me and he said, we need counselors in this school. We need college counselors. We need social workers. That's what we need in this school. So the idea that somehow these kids going to these academically excellent institutions just have it made, that's a bunch of hooey, too. That is a bunch of hooey. Someone has uh, texted to, um, especially I I think with regard to the woman who called before Brenda was her name, um, please mention that on Facebook, there is a group called Shy Welcome for Bonnie and anyone else who wants to get involved with our new neighbors. Also, New Life Centers of Chicago. I know that's a religious faith-based organization. They're doing uh, work with folks right off buses and creating welcome packets, usually toiletries, a few warm outfits. So there you go, Bonnie. If you're still listening, um, Shy Welcome would be a Facebook group you should look at. You know what? I'm going to give up on the curator of the show. Either we got the number wrong or she got the date wrong, or maybe she ate something for her holiday dinner that did not agree with her. Or, or, um, this is, this is coming up for a lot of people. Have, have you been, have you gotten one of these phone calls or texts? Hi, Tori. Hi, Steve. Hi, Joe. Hi, Sam. Hi, Becky. I'm just calling to tell you that I was in your house uh, five days ago and I've got COVID. <laughs> uh, will anyone who hasn't gotten one of those text or phone calls raise raise your your virtual hand? Everyone, everyone I know has gotten one of these. So since we don't get to, to hear about the Faith Rangold show, would you let me know where you are on the, uh how you're responding to the new wave of infection that's passing through Chicago right now? I'm back to masking when I'm in public places. Um, here in the studio, poor Andy across the table for me, smart enough to be wearing a good mask, not just any old mask, but a really high caliber mask. It's uh. It's disturbing to get those phone calls cuz then you got to go rummage. First thing you get the you get the phone call and you're like, "Okay, I feel fine, but it's it's incumbent upon me to test." So then you're like, "Okay, I know I've got some of these covid tests lying around here somewhere," and then begins the great rummaging. You know, the great rummaging, like somewhere in your bathroom, somewhere in your linen closet, somewhere in your bedroom. You got some more of those free COVID testing kits. You know, they're around here somewhere. Boxes are falling out of your cabinet onto the floor. No, it's not the hand sanitizer. I got seven-year supply of hand sanitizer now. No, it's not the toilet paper. I know that we had a, yeah, we were low on toilet paper, so I have 27 years worth of toilet paper here right now. And, um, oh, gosh, some Band-Aids. Those won't help ah, the COVID tests, here they are. And then you pull out the box of COVID tests and then you're like, how do I use these again? How do I use, I've forgotten. Have you forgotten? All I remembered about the COVID test was thing up the nose. It's all I could remember. I had to read and every test is different. Stick the Q-tip in the tube. No, stick the tube in the, the first time I did an at-home COVID test and they were hard to come by, I totally ruined it. Totally ruined it. You're supposed to put the swab and then you stick it in the liquid. And I thought you were supposed to dump the liquid. But no, you're not. You're supposed to throw out the liquid and then take the swab and then take five drops of the thing that was on the swab that you have to ring out like some kind of some kind of southern hand ringer device they give you you know those old like, ringer washers that you see in the museum with the tub on the bottom and then the two rolls on the top that's what you have to put your q tip through one of those little roller things and then you have to wait which means you have to remember how long you're supposed to wait which is another timer you have to set and you go through all that and while you're waiting I know this has to have happened to you. I cannot be the only one. While you're waiting, you read the box. And the box says that your COVID test kit expired in April. So what do you do? Do you just go, ah, screw it, it's got to still be good? Or do you go, oh, no, and then run to the store with your mask on for a bunch more COVID test kits? Or I hear you can get more now? Or do you just go, you know what, I feel fine? How are you handling this wave? What are you doing to handle this wave? Very few people ending up in hospitals, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't get sick and give this to somebody who could wind up in a hospital or you could wind up in a hospital. So this wave, it's really hitting now. The holidays are, do you remember, how long has it been since you used the word, give you a moment to think about this, how long has it been since you used the word super spreader event? Because these days, that's just called life. Life is a super spreader event now. And what do you do when you've gone to all that trouble, chucking out all the crap in your linen closet, finally finding the kit, remembering how to use it, sticking the thing up your nose and waiting for the 10 minutes or five minutes or however long it's supposed to take for that little pink line to appear or not, and then finding out that your kit has expired, what do you do? I need to know. I have a slightly guilty conscience. I used the expired kit. I did. I used the expired kit. Uh, and then I went and told Andy right to his face, yeah, I've been testing all the time. Now, now it can be revealed. I used the expired kit. Here's the deal. How do they actually know when the kit expires? The whole the, the whole kits are only like, what, two years old to begin with. Now somebody's going to call, you know, I work for the CDC. You can't use an expired kit. It will give you wrong results. It will tell you you don't have COVID and you could take out that whole radio station. Well, sorry. It was a big battle in my conscience. I've got like eight of those kits, enough to fill a tiny landfill. And I just thought, you know, the cheapness in me and the environmentalist in me and all the other excuses in me says, I'm using the darn kit and I don't care if it expired last March. I'm using it. And if I get like a a teeny little maybe a line, then maybe I'll send somebody to Walgreens for another kit. But I I think just this business of tossing out kits is wasteful. That's what I've decided. So I'm going to keep using them even if they expired in April. I am. So if I tell you, if I run into you, If we run into each other at CVS or Target and I'm wearing a mask and you go, hey, Tori, love the show. Thanks for filling in for Joan so she could have some time off. How are you feeling? I'll be able to say, I just tested clear for COVID and and you will know and you will be kind enough not to get right in my face also because that could be dangerous and say, yeah, well, you tested with an expired kit. So heck with you, Tori, you irresponsible person, you Feel free to text me your your strategy this this COVID season. I would like to hear it. The texting number, perhaps you have never texted me before. The texting number is 773 763 9278. 773 763 WCPT live local and progressive. That is where you find me. That is where you find us.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Tory Ryder.
1: Oh, sweet. It is Tori Ryder in for Joan Esposito. If you don't somehow get enough of me, a snootful of me while I'm here uh, this week and next, you can always find me on the socials. I have been avoiding Elon Muskness Social, But other than that, um, Facebook's a good place to find me. We can connect that way. And a little bit, a little bit of Insta. Uh, we're talking about how you're managing the latest wave of COVID, um, whether you're testing, whether you even let people know if you are sick, uh, whether you've gotten one of those texts that says, uh, Dear Samuel... I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm really sick with COVID, and I know that I was at your house for coffee four days ago, so I'm letting you know. Uh, oh, we just lost. That's all right. So if you've, if you've been dealing with that, I would, really, I would really love to know how you are dealing with that. I did get, uh, I did get as, as you know now, I did get one of those texts. And, and here's an ugly thing that you may learn about yourself. My first thought was for me. I I was like, am I sick? Am I coughing? Am I? And then I had to pull myself up like by the scruff of my own neck and go, wait a minute. My friend is sick. I, I should be, I should be writing back about how are you? How are you feeling? How bad is this? But there's that little moment where a better human being than I am would have, would have written that message first and then thought, wait, how am I feeling? That's how you know what kind of person you are. Not a good person. Maybe you're a better person. Somebody there, you know, I aspire to have only friends who, if, and so far I've escaped, but who, if I texted them and said, Hi, I'm texting you because I was in your house a few days ago and I am sick with COVID. I want friends who first ask, How are you? I hope it's not a bad case. What, you know, what are you doing for yourself? Do you need soup? And not, so embarrassing not my text back was we feel fine here (laughs) sorry to hear it we'll test that's like that's got to be like the ultimate human Rorschach test when somebody tells you what do you say first how are you or how am I let's go to Joe in Villa Park hi Joe welcome to WCPT
9: hey thank you so um we have had this happen just today we had uh, we hosted a Christmas Eve seven fish dinner over the on uh, uh, Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and everybody at the table was older than we are so we went the extraordinary um, you know length to make sure everyone was safe we didn't require masking because we're going to be eating but we hoped that they would you know be conscious of each other's medical situations and they just found out today that one of my my aunts tested positive oh boy and so i don't know where where it came from but we tested ourselves because we still have test kits and i sent you the link to the fda's website out, tested, tested and we're we're fine but i we caught it earlier this year because i was exposed in a place that i thought i would never have to worry about because giant cavernous old will be train station. Uh I had my mask <laughs> down for just a little bit. Uh, and five days later I was woke uh, up to having um, amazing cold.
1: I'm sorry.
9: And did you <laughs> so, let No, I was fine. Did, I I was old enough to get the fast uh, patch with it and the doctor put me right on it and you know, all I had minor cold symptoms. But we were
1: fully vaccinated. Yeah, you know, and yeah. up
9: to date. So that the text helped.
1: that I got was for somebody from somebody who was just vaxed a couple weeks before. So presumably she will be okay. But let me just ask you: just this, and I don't know you, so you can truly confess. Was your first thought for the aunt, or was your first thought, "Oh, geez, I hope I don't get this again"? No, it
9: was for the aunt because, uh- you know, because we had had it. Why well, can't know, I be you? you. I
1: want to be you, Joe. I want to be a good person. So, uh, I do. I don't want to be like, oh, boy. I'm, this is going to really well, screw me up if I can't. Favorite. You're a good person.
9: It, no, I'm a, this a, was the aunt when I was five to four years old would take me out for a hot fudge Sunday. Uh, at, a, at a restaurant where they served them in the glass bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, does she uh, listen?
1: Can we can we give her a get well wish? It'll be in the podcast. Can can I give her name um, wish her- I'm not
9: sure if she does but she's she uh probably doesn't she doesn't listen the radio. For that.
1: Oh okay. Well tell her from me that I think that an aunt who takes you out for ice cream deserves to have only the mildest and and most fleetly, the fleetest case of COVID, if at all, and that I hope she feels completely mended in 48 hours. And that is my hope and prayer for her. And thank you so much for calling and being a better person. And and that's why I do this work, because you're going to make me a better person, dragging me, kicking and screaming into fine human beinghood. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye. It is just a minute before four o'clock. A reminder to you that another better person, Patty Vasquez, is going to be in. She's tearing her way from, herself away from what could have easily been a long Christmas vacation. She is the ruler of her own domain. She could have just said, you know what? I, I want to take this time just off. She deserves it. She works hard enough, but... She's going to come in here and entertain you. And maybe you are driving back from that long holiday weekend and you're picking us up on a um, internet device or your satellite device. And so you'll have Patty to help you, usher you, drive you home just about an hour from now. Coming up, coming up, a little report card on the mayor from someone who is in a great position to know. Alderman Scott Wackisbach of the 32nd.
0: Joan Esposito. Live, live local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Surrey Ryder.
1: Yes, I am in for Joan. I'm kind of the token middle-of-the-road Democrat, actually, if you want to know the truth. I'm I'm here for the balance of it. I'm here so they can say, okay, well, most of the hosts here are are truly progressive. And and then we've got Ryder sometimes. Just an old fashioned Democrat. So I am very grateful to be joined by. He may not appreciate being known as an old fashioned Democrat. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. Alderman Wagespeck of the 32nd. Welcome to WCPT. Thank you for joining us.
10: Hi, Terry. Happy, uh, oh well, holidays to yeah, you. There we don't you go. have a Happy New Year yet, but no,
1: we're close. <laughs> no, okay. So it's good. So this is a good time to look back over uh, the guy that I did not vote for and <laughs> his track record. Uh, I, there's so many reasons I did not support this this mayor, but I was willing, willing, willing to give our mayor Brandon Johnson a chance to show me what he could do, and what. I've seen him do does not inspire me with confidence for the, 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 next little while. Um, I mean, seriously, the, the alderman, it seems the alderman, the mayor seems to be playing like hot potato with the schools, the migrants, the, you know, no, now, now we're going to put him over here. No, now we're going to put him over here. Whoops. Sorry. Did I say we could put him over there? I was wrong. Okay. We'll put him. What is going on? And, um, what else? Can I can you think of anything he's doing right at all at the moment?
10: <laughs> well, there has been a lot of back and forth, um, I think on a lot of issues that he campaigned on that turned out differently. Like um, you know, for instance, the uh Spot Shotter contract early on. I don't know if you recall that where he didn't realize he had signed a contract that allowed Spot Shotter to come back in. Um,
1: uh yeah. That was
10: early on. Like in the first week or two.
1: I could have. If he had asked me, I could have told him I moved back home to Chicago from Oakland and we were the test market for the shot spotter or whatever. And that was another uh version of it's over here. It's over there. It's over here. And then the cops, the Oakland cops, who Chicago cops are, are, are like perfect compared to the Oakland cops. They'd be hauling people out of their cars for no particular reason other than they got a signal from this thing that it was bad. So, in the
10: area, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I recall Oakland was in a consent decree too, right? They
1: yeah, had a lot of issues. Yeah, and they were They, sh- I think they're supposed to sign another one, but they can't find anybody responsible enough to sign it at this point. It's it's bad over <laughs> there. And we, yeah, I, I mean, I love I love big cities. I love diverse cities. I moved to Oakland purposely because I'm a Chicagoan, and Oakland felt most like Chicago to me. But at this point, even though I've had three people shot within a block of within houses of my House in the last couple years, I still feel much safer and better and happier here in the arms of my beloved city of Chicago. But my mayor seems to be just sort of ripping. Have you ever seen a dog just sort of rip apart a stuffed toy? Oh
10: yeah, my dog would do that very yeah, often. I
1: yeah. kind of feel like the city of Chicago is the stuffed toy, and our mayor is is, is the dog. I just feel like we're, uh, this stuffing is just coming out of us now because he's just shaking us around so hard. So, okay, the shot spotter, that was the first thing. He, whoops, accidentally signed the contract. No, Nobody in his staff told him what he was signing.
10: Well, I, you know, I think when you're the mayor, a lot of stuff gets through, you know, and you have to look at things pretty quickly. But, um, I, you know, at first, when he said, "Hey, you know, I didn't know that they signed that thing, I thought, oh, okay, you know, it's the first B week. I'll give you a pass. But then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was sitting in his own press conference, and one of the reporters said, "You know, what's up with this Garter World contract? Now, we had had a hearing on this and I was hoping, you know, I would hope that he would listen to the hearings or watch them, uh, the committee <laughs> hearings, especially on, you know, a, a huge issue like the migrant issue. And you have the Garter World contract where, you know, Garda World has a pretty sordid history, I think, in, in um, the world. You know, they were in Iraq. They had left people behind that they were supposed to take out of there when the Taliban took over. Um, they've called been called modern day slave, you know, runners. I mean they're just they've got a sordid history.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't let so, them babysit you know, the mayor, my kid, that's for sure. I, w- I would not yeah. let them I wouldn't let them build a summer camp where I would send anybody I would would love, and certainly not a full time residence for people who are really, really vulnerable. That that seems like a bad yeah, idea.
10: And, yeah, in this case our migrant population. So to see him say the other day at the press conference, do we have a contract but really asked do we have a contract with garter world i was stunned seriously and he
1: really it, i missed that he actually said those words he didn't say like is it signed yet or where are we he said do we have a contract like he was oblivious
10: yeah oblivious to oh, it and he Lord. looked over to his his uh, pr person and they said well we have it you know the state has it and i mean just the uh, yeah i when i saw that i thought who's really running things, what in the heck is going on on the fifth floor, and it just so shows a real disconnect. And it's really disheartening because it is something that the mayor should know. You know, if you made that mistake on the shot spotter, I get it, but you've been in for months and months and months, and you don't know that you signed a contract with Garden World or that we have one. Um, you know, and just the, the issue with Brighton Park, too, with the migrant camp and not knowing that there were environmental issues there on a site that, he and several activists, including the all, you know, the alderman in that area had fought against in the previous administration. So it just there's something really off about this and, and very disheartening.
1: Well, I. I was—I I will disclose now—I was a Sophia King supporter. I—I I really thought she was mm-hmm. sensible, and uh, had the best interest, and—and and I thought she was really smart and experienced. And I just—I think that Johnson just shows if you throw enough money at somebody in Chicago, you can really make headway uh, especially if you have an organization of people who are willing to knock on doors there are a whole lot of people who knocked on doors in my neighborhood that I'm I'm not baking cookies for this holiday I'll tell you that so my my big disconnect with the mayor at the moment is this whole idea that the public enrollment high schools of Chicago uh, are are some kind of a, a black mark on the diversity scale. Does this man not read the data about who attends CPS Selective Enrollment Schools? Does he not know that in cases where there's no diversity, these shining stars of schools are almost entirely minority and that where there is diversity um, and, that, and that the rest of them are, are plurality, at least non-white students? Where does he get off with this idea that somehow So, I mean, the people who will stick it to if he takes away money from the selective enrollment schools are the least served and most deserving kids in the whole city of Chicago.
10: Yeah, I think there was another huge disconnect there. I mean, obviously, that's um, he campaigned on education issues, too. And, you know, when you look at um, the, the comments that came out of, well, it's not even the comments, it's a resolution that came out of his appointed school board. You know, they're the ones who really uh, put this out there. And I think they wouldn't have done it if, you know, they had directions from the mayor to say that um, and that's that's a little, you know, you kind of wonder, OK, what is going on there? What is so bad about it? Um, you know, you can find issues with each side of, I mean, of uh, the concern on that. But. Um, well, he keeps saying it's a diversity.
1: Board. He keeps saying it's a diversity issue as though these cPS selective enrollment high schools, which are drawing middle class people of all races and cultures to the city and keeping right. them there. um in my worst mommy moment when we came back, I remember saying to my eldest, and this is a quote, "If we have to live in Evanston just because you bleeped around on this entrance exam, I will never forgive you." That was the worst thing I've ever said to my kid. But, you know, I well, I, I am... For- a lot of parents
10: are concerned about that, and you wouldn't be the only one. Well,
1: I said it to my kid. You're probably not supposed to say that. But, you know, we oh. have... We're fortunate. We're privileged. I mean, I could have managed us to... You know, we could have been there. But for people who don't have mm-hmm. options, this is... The, every time I read the rankings of the public schools in Chicago and the CPS schools kick the snot out of the suburban schools, I cheer. I'm like... Yes. Yes, we did it yeah. again. But um and and you can just I hope you're listening to Highland Park and Nutrier and Glenbrook and all Oak Park and all you other high schools that think you're so swell again. But why would he want what why why would he want to undo these great achievements that are serving the community? And the same thing w- would you're speaking about the migrants. He's gotten such a lot of support for his views on welcoming people and connecting them to services. And to his credit, I guess, making an effort to um, punish The buses that are just showing up and and disgorging people in the middle of the night with no warning to the city. I guess I could give him a point for that. But why undo that by the carelessness of not properly vetting a group that would be building um, refugee facilities? Why, Why undo the good that he could be doing through this kind of carelessness?
10: Well, I think carelessness is kind of the the issue here. It's a it's a lack of leadership or ability to lead, and it does. It's not just him, you know. If you surround yourself with people who've never um, led before, you know, at um, at different levels, like say municipal government, um, you know, and I've got colleagues who've been saying this that they're very disappointed with the way things are being operated on the fifth floor and even in the city council. You know, there's there's a a complete distrust, I think, of what they're doing. Um, You have their own colleagues on the council floor yelling that, you know, the mayor and the people he's brought on have little to no experience. Um, You know, Jeanette Taylor's that particular person I'm thinking of. She's been on the council floor and on other media outlets saying why are, you know, how these people got in and how they're running things is just wrong right now. And um, I think people expect it a lot more and they've, Really been let down on a lot of different issues,
1: well, these people that he has brought in are they simply folks who worked hard to elect him? how what are his from from where you sit? what seem to be the criteria for finding yourself in the mayor's inner circle right now?
10: Um, I'm not really sure because, you know, we had a lot of good people in different positions, you know, and um, look, I know Lori Lightfoot would, could be abrasive sometimes with people, but she had a great finance team, for instance. Um, she had a comptroller, a budget director and a finance uh, chief who were excellent and they worked very well together, um, both in public and with the council. They were very open, very transparent. They said, here, here are all the things that were in our situation right now, and here's where we'd like to go. And they put it out there very openly and transparently. And we're not seeing that with this administration. Do you, um, do you think I it's think just you,
1: because they, they don't know what they're doing, they don't want anybody to find out, or they're actually doing things they, must, they should not be doing, and they don't want anybody to find out, or they just don't know how... To to organize a, a disclosure. I mean, what what do you think is behind this? But,
10: well, I think there's a little bit of, of a guessing game on how to do certain things with with certain aspects of the the different teams, and you know, there's also just a and the ability to run a city a city of our size, you know, is is um, not easy. I mean, you have to have experienced people to bring. Um, A lot of these processes to together and make sure that people are getting things done that they need to when you bring in people with they're just activists or organizers whatever that might be um, they just don't have that that ability to uh, govern in the same way the municipality needs it done
1: What sort of institutional, yeah, well, and well-intentioned a lot of them, I'm sure, but what kind of institutional memory typically exists between administrations? And is there any hope of of salvaging? I mean, I I know that you were reconstructing after uh, Alderman Burke left in disgrace, um, but what What's there to build on? What kind of veteran administrators are there where conceivably the mayor's people could go down the hall and say, you know, we're really struggling here. Can you help us?
10: Well, for instance, you know, if you look at the HR department, human resources, they do a lot of the hiring. And right now, they, you know, over the last six or eight months, they've been missing the top three people there. Uh, That collectively was, you know, could be 50 years worth of experience Um, and to bring You know, people in that don't have the experience or not not to fill those positions really puts you in a in a serious um, deficit when you're trying to hire professionals for commissioners, deputy commissioners, positions like that. Um, And you start out, you know, on the back foot, um, you're going to be in pretty serious trouble when you I think when you look at um, the police department, you have a superintendent. He definitely has the experience. I'm not worried about him. When you look at the fire department, you know, you don't have to worry too much there uh, about anything because you have people with experience that have come up through the system. I think when you get into some of these other departments where, you know, the, the people running the migrant situation right now, um, little to no experience. And obviously based on what happened at Brighton Park, what happened on the west side with, you know, trying to shove um, migrants into the park district there. And then backing off of it, you you see a very uh, huge deficit of experience that is really causing a lot of disruption among um, citizens in the city, but also for the migrants as well.
1: Yeah. I would imagine that's so, especially now with you know they don't even get dropped off in the, in the usual place anymore. We were talking about this on the air a, a little bit ago about the the mayors of the suburban mm-hmm. communities who are just kind of like, yeah, we called Metro and got a car and stuck them on the car and sent them to yeah. Chicago. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. We really that that we I'm not going backwards. I'm only going forwards. Let's say you have a magic wand. Um, I'm going to give you a moment to, to think on this because I have some business to do. But I would love to know because i love to have some idea of a positive path forward. Um, so your advice for us in a moment, if you could stick around, we'll, we'll ask you for that. That's Alderman Waxbeck of the 32nd, and we'll speak more with him in a moment on a report card on how the mayor is doing so far. Neither he nor I are giving him an A or even a B at this point. WCPT, it's Joan Esposito's show.
6: Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT
0: 820. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Turi Ryder.
1: It is, and I am, 424 Tory Ryder in for Joan, and we are joined by Alderman Scott Wagasback of the 32nd Ward. Neither of us seem to be particularly enamored of the job that our current mayor is doing. Alderman, I, I want to ask you about your path forward thought, but this text just came in and it occurred to me, I hadn't even asked you how you think um, Mayor Johnson is doing uh, concerning crime, particularly the gangs of very young carjackers and um uh, well, you know the whole profile here of, of what's what's happening in the neighborhoods. How How is he doing there, and what could he be doing better or differently? How long does your show go for? <laughs> <laughs> you can come back. You can come back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're going to yeah. have to tell
10: Joan you need to sob again a few times. She w- She uh, <laughs> will
1: let me. She's gone all next week. We might just have you back. Well, what do you think? I mean, what do you think?
10: Well, I think, um, you know, look, first of all, go into the let, let's, you know, focus for a second on the positive way to go about the migrant issue. Um, and I can, you know, kind of knock it out a little bit of what obviously I'm not the mayor, but I would go and say, look, all the mayors who are suffering through this situation, you know, Denver, Chicago, New York City, they've got to get together, go to D.C. and And with a proposal for funding to the federal government and say, look, is it the State Department, is it USAID, is it AG, whoever it might be, let us figure out a way to get um, workers' programs, you know, a la uh, Roosevelt did, you know, prior to World War II, and say, look, um, this isn't just going to help the migrants, but it's going to help a lot of other people in our cities, too. Mm-hmm. There's ways to go about that. Mm-hmm. But what we tried to do at the beginning of this process, and I think it, was, it started in the last administration, they said, give us locations that, you know, we can turn into shelters. But what we were looking at was with an eye to turn them into permanent housing after the fact. And, you know, I was out there pretty adamantly opposed to this Guard World contract because I didn't want I've worked in refugee camps. I've been to refugee camps in Africa. I've worked in them in the Balkans. I kind of knew, like, look, this refugee camps are not. Something we want set up in Chicago, especially these winterized ones. And I basically said we should be looking at buildings that we can later turn into permanent affordable housing instead of blowing money on these other contracts, which obviously this mayor has been doing with Brighton Park, you know, and, and losing millions of dollars there. Um, we should be investing into more permanent housing. Now, Wait, hold up a second. I,
1: I thought that one of these contracts we hadn't spent money on it yet, and so they bid even knowing that it could be turned down, and then they will not be getting the money. That's not Brighton Park. That's the other one.
10: The other one, I think. But, okay. but overall, I mean, we're just we're hemorrhaging tens of millions of dollars a monthly, and I think that's. That's where there's no direction, no plan. You know, I, I send emails and I can't even get answers for emails that I send in about other issues related to the migrant issues. So there's just no leadership there. But that a lot of these things can be solved with a, a plan that I think, um, you know, the alderman needs to get behind, the mayor needs to get behind. But that's, I well, don't know we, if it's going to happen. Here.
1: I don't, it doesn't seem like there's, I mean, we've had people on the show, we had a, a doctor who had a team of. Uh, medical residents come out and um, serve the communities who are staying in these police stations with just some basic medical care. And I asked her, mm-hmm. w- what What are you going with? And is there a medical van where you can do exams? She goes, are you kidding me? The city has provided none of that. We We use our own cars. I mean, these are the kinds right. of things where you got people willing to do the work, you got people willing to volunteer and do the work, and there's just no organization, none. So,
10: yeah. And until until this past couple of weeks, the, the police officers were in large part um, housing them in their own place of, of work.
1: Yeah, it was awful. which
10: was really horrible for the officers. Awful. I mean, I was in a lot of the, our stations and, you know, trying to help out, talk through things, bring, you know, food and uh, talk to officers. And it just it was really burdensome for them as well, which, of course, leads to morale issue. Yes. Um, you know you're talking about the crime issue as well uh that you know I don't think there's comprehension uh from early on of what the situation is there.
1: It's really amazing you sort of wondered that does he has he talked to these people he he seems to be and and you also see this in in the the how would you call this the the banning of the public from the city council he He just seems to feel like somehow oh, that was
9: outrageous
1: it, it, he seems to feel somehow that if he can wall himself off him and his Core advisors from the public and put his fingers in the ears and hum that somehow everything's going to just go fine. And I felt terrible for for the we live in Uptown, and as if the cops don't have enough to do there now. Now they're doing their level best to host these people. It's not their job. It's not they're not set up for it, and yet they really do try hard. They really did live that serve and protect that's on all of the cars. They. They did for these people because they're human beings, so i i yeah it I'm sort of you'd think that I'd have some words, wouldn't you uh but I don't so
2: well.
1: <laughs> I don't have any I can say on the air anyway, so what about the crime thing with the the couple of minutes we have left here what what should we be sure. doing, yeah?
10: Well, I was just going to say I was in the 14th district, uh, you know, cr- right before Christmas. And I just want to say they did an incredible job doing a Christmas for all the, about 150 kids in the shelter at uh, Western. So I wanted to give kudos to them. Good for you. But for uh, to the officers. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, but I think, you know, I've had discussion one discussion with the mayor in the summer. And I said, look, the number one issue is public safety. If people don't feel safe, if they're not safe. The number of car thefts is astronomical. It's the highest it's been ever uh, in the tens of thousands. And that's just short of a carjacking or more serious violent crimes. And, um, you know, to basically say, first of all, at the beginning of the summer, well, you know, just look the other way. These are just kids, you know.
1: Uh, oh, that was outrageous. I can't remember what the. Well, yeah, they're just, like, tr- yeah, something about, yeah, they're we, just kids. Like they are kids who misbehave, and then there are kids who beat the living daylights and stuffing out of people and and do worse and those are it's not like they yeah. don't know it's not like they don't know any better they they know better so yeah right. so he dismissed and, this bad behavior and then did anyone like get in in the mayor's face and say you you just can't do that
10: I don't think so I don't think anybody ever told him no you can't do that and that's part of the problem i think he has too many people saying yes um, on the migrant issue, on the crime issue, on this education issue, and, and goes down the line where you have to have people in there saying, no, mayor, um, or whoever the leader is, no, you can't do this. I mean, I have it on my own staff where people say, you know, let's look at it differently. Um, you know, let's try to balance this out somehow. I think his, uh, you know, his perception is um, one that comes from a guy who served as a county commissioner. So he had maybe a little bit of touch of what happens with the judges and what happens with the state state's attorney but i find that our officers are really now kind of working on a on a three-legged stool they're the only uh leg holding up the system right now and that's really disturbing
1: it's disturbing in all kinds of ways i i yeah i mean the cars are unsafe the cta is unsafe it's uh it's problematic to put it but, but, to put it mildly yeah but i think
10: Accountability needs to come from the top, and, and you have to have a mayor who says, look, um, if it is a, a youth that's doing it, there are ways to hold that, uh, that young person accountable. You know, we have our own 30-second ward program where we go to court, we bring people in, we get um, several hours of community service that we do, and we try to work with these kids or human, and adults in some cases and say, this is not the thing to be doing to our community or anybody's community. There are ways to go about it. I just haven't seen any plan for it. And you can't ignore this problem. It is growing and growing. The violence is becoming um, it's increasing because no one is saying, no, you can't do that. And our officers are working, changing their tactics, changing the strategies, trying to, to work things out the right way. But if they don't have a state's attorney that's willing to prosecute or judges that are willing to hold people accountable along with the mayor, you have a broken system.
1: Well, thank God for the restorative justice people. They're, they're in there trying and we've talked to them. And, you know, once, mm-hmm. once these kids actually get charged and, and come in, then there's an opportunity to intervene. Well, I'm sure we're going to yeah. continue this conversation at some future point because as you pointed out, we, how many hours do we have? But I thank you for hanging in there and I thank you for, for speaking up. And I hope that what you have to say is, is repeated down the line and that somebody gets in the face. Of our mayor and says, "Sir, yeah, can't do that." Um, thanks. Yeah, again. I think
10: we just all want a better city. You know, that's the that's the bottom line. Yeah, he means well. Make our I, city better.
1: I do think he means well. I'll I'll give him that much. Thank you, Alderman. I really appreciate your time. It, it's been good speaking. Happy New, you. New Year! Happy
10: New Year to you and the
1: listeners, and to you, Alderman Wagasback of the thirty second on WCPT.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Suri Ryder.
1: Four thirty-eight. In for Jonas Esposito. I am Tory Ryder. I'm here all week and next week and for Edwin Eisendrath on Saturday as well. Have you held in your hands a beautiful arts magazine that is entirely about the scene here in Chicago? If so, it was probably New City Magazine. And they did something really interesting with their end-of-the-year subscription offer, which I should probably take them up on. Um they offered some real Chicago artwork with your subscription. It's a novel approach. I, I would love to introduce you now to the president, uh, Brian Hagelke. Welcome to WCPT. And thank you for putting together something that Chicago has not had really since Chicago Magazine came apart at the seams. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been doing this? It's been a few years now.
8: Uh, 1986. So what's that? 37. Okay, so
1: then I missed. So how did I? I was just a Chicago magazine. I was sort of under the impression, and forgive my ignorance, that this beautiful creation just showed up like ten, fifteen years ago. I don't know why I got that idea. But here you are doing great things for art in the city. Talk about your magazine a little bit, and this this clever idea of giving people art when they subscribe.
8: Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. Um, the um, the reason you may not have noticed is that uh, we were, for a long time, we were a newsprint weekly um, and, uh, you know, in kind of the alt-weekly space. Ah. And uh, we evolved into the Glossy Magazine when that kind of segment of the industry started uh, showing signs of, of trauma. And um, so, you know, we've we've leaned very heavily into art and culture uh, in the last decade. Uh, decade or more, although it's always been a core part of our DNA. And uh, yeah, we're we're unique in that we're a publication still owned and operated by its founders, even though, you know, we're not quite as young as we were when we started out in the the mid 1980s. So, you know, we've we've been there for all the different sort of highs and lows of the process.
1: Well, thank you for saving my behind there on that one and my woeful (laughs) ignorance. So you've been a glossy for uh, what? How long now?
8: Uh, you know i'd have to look it up to be sure i let's say roughly 10 years
1: okay you know, so that's a, even so that's yeah. when i started noticing you showing up in uh, in interesting places and with fascinating um you you find good stories to write about it's not just the usual talk about how you decided well talk about this distribution of art with a with the membership because i haven't seen that before and it's very cool
8: Sure. So we, you know, one of the things we've been doing as we kind of evolved the publication is it's getting more and more expensive to produce because it's glossy. It's on nice paper. We have really long, really long stories, you know, now that are very in-depth magazine stories. And we made the decision to evolve from kind of a free giveaway to a paid sub- uh, subscriber-based publication. And there's a mix of both right now in the marketplace, mm-hmm. but we're, you know, increasingly focusing more on that. And one of the ideas that um, the Todd Hagelke came up with was he, you know, this idea of a he called it a collectible insert, which would be to to commission artists to create this sort of higher quality, you know, um, insert like a poster, sort of, if you will, or a print that could be sent out only to subscribers. So if you pick it up, if you pick up one of our complimentary copies around town. Does not include it, but if you are one of the paid subscribers, you get this. And we worked, went out and we worked with um, a very uh, beloved and, and well-respected curator and, and artist himself, Jason Pickleman, on the first edition of this. It's called Folio. And the idea was every couple of months or so, two to three months, if you're a subscriber, you would get one of these in the mail. What we decided to do and we have some of the you know some very well known Chicago artists Edra Soto was the first artist um who many people might be familiar with she's had uh, been a big you know an an increasingly important part of the Chicago art scene and you can just name any institution or museum in Chicago and she's been part of it and she's recently been in shows at the Whitney and things like that and then we're going to culminate with the Astro Gates who's a very also very 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 well known oh, artist yeah. and we've had so you know the idea was to, that that to give people something special you know not only get the magazine in the mail which we think is special <laughs> but also you know get this uh this this one thing that you can you can't get anywhere else and so it's a very limited edition and the, the other thing i guess i would point out what you're responding to is what we when we came to the end of the year we're like well we've done we, we the first edition is six of them we've already sent out four so if you missed it like you weren't a subscriber back in April this is your chance to to catch up we will send you all four of the ones you missed if you subscribe right now between now and the end of the year so you have till Sunday i guess and uh
1: It seems like this would be a really great idea. Like, if you have a young person in your family, like, I I know we did this. We have a kid just finished school in Toronto, and we went up to visit him and we stumbled across the Women Artists Society of Toronto, and they had to show up. And we said, Well, for graduation, you know, let's get you something for your apartment. You'll get your first piece of art now. Um, But this would be a way when someone is starting, and, and maybe you haven't provided all your holiday gifts, Someone who loves art is starting, would like to have something unusual. You could subscribe as a gift for an art fan, and then they would have something really unusual to put up and to talk about. And then, of course, you can give them gifts for the rest of the year of certificates to the local framing places <laughs> so they can, they can put up their art in something nice. But what did the artists say when you came to them and said, we want to put your work in, a, in an insert in a magazine? What did they say about that?
8: They were all very supportive you know um you know we've for many of these artists you know who are now have got you know we have gotten much bigger on kind of the local or even international art scene we were if not the first one of the first publications ever really write about them and support them so we've had a long you know sort of nurturing relationship with them so they were all very much on board with doing it And, and as i said the first curator uh, Jason Pickelman was somebody who was extremely well respected and beloved in the community as well. So I think the combination of the publication and having Jason involved just you know made it. That was the easy part, you know, in in, in many ways. So, it, it, you know, it. it, it, it it's it's nice to, to have it go that well. You never know.
1: <laughs> has it <laughs> worked? Has something? it has it increased? I mean, I know people want to believe that they're just altruistic and they you know they love the arts, but when they can get something, does that move them off the dime with all the other arts institutions in Chicago that are begging for their support? They go like oh, this, but I get something in addition to just the magazine. I get something. Is is this the equivalent of the public radio coffee mug or tote bag, that, or is it? even better and people going nuts over it
8: well i think it's you know well I, I think it's been kind of a slow and steady build as opposed to people going nuts but i think it's better than a coffee mug just because it's 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 truly unique and you never know that i'm not telling people this is going to be valuable because i have no idea but it is kind of a one-of-a-kind thing that you're not going to be able to just go out and you know get anywhere else and, um, you know, these are these are very important artists in the in, you know, in the spectrum of of Chicago, you know, artists. So I think from that standpoint, it's better. Um, and, you know, we're in the hope is that we'll come up with another version of this, whether, you know, I don't know what that means, because, you know, we're, we haven't decided. But, you know, folio, this is folio called folio one and there'll be a folio two, you know, and then that'll be something else. And we'll announce that when we're re- when we have it figured out and you are ready to. This is going to run through, I think, uh, the the May issue of next year. This current kind of run. So, you know, it's, there's a few. The last two will come out, and I think it's uh, February and May editions. So. Well,
1: let's expand the scope a little bit, and I would like to ask you about some of your favorite artistic events that you covered this past year, and some that you're looking forward to for next year.
8: Sure. Well, we're you know one of the things that we're very much involved with as a publication is the Expo Chicago Art Fair mm. that takes place in the spring, and we've launched our own thing that goes along with it called Breakout Artists. And what Breakout Artists is is a pro- we go through a process and we work with curate our our critics. We work with curators, collectors. And we try to find the 10 emerging artists that are most interesting in Chicago at this moment in time.
1: So then everybody and else hates you, but 10 people are happy in the art scene. You've, well, you've made it's their days. Com-
8: yeah, it's, but it's up and comers. It's not established, right? So Okay. I think, I think everyone's support, sure, you know. And, I'm giving and you a little exhibition. bit
1: of a hard time. I'm just giving you a little. And everybody, this is not legal, Little League. You do not get a participation trophy. You either are one of the yeah. ten or you're not. So, okay, so you you pinpoint some people you think are really people to watch. And then what?
8: Yeah, and then we have an exhibition as well. So we publish a magazine. We do a two-page spread on each of them. And then we work with them to uh, to produce an exhibition at the Chicago Artists Coalition, that coincides with Expo Chicago. So while these, you know, collectors and curators from all over the world are in Chicago, they can come see this work. This is a way to introduce them to that world. So yeah, it is definitely, I think, a source of of, of positive envy. Let's call it that a positive I envy. Gets,
1: I love that. It's not a seven you know? deadly sin anymore. It's a positive thing. Where? Well, do, because, yeah, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
8: No, I didn't say because I think most artists in that sort of in that, at that stage of their career, they're very supportive of each other. That's and they understand. True. That's you know, true. And, and they also know that there's
1: next year for them, right? Yes. So that it's, you know, yes, so, that's true. You know, so. Like nominated so many times and then you win and then you can cry behind the microphone while they hand you your trophy. I totally get that. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and if you were, if you won the first time, you wouldn't cry as hard and it wouldn't mean as much. Where is this artist coalition building of which you speak in case people don't know, like
8: me? It's on, it's on Fulton. It's in the, I, I forget, it's kind of like the Carroll Market area. It's a, I don't know how you describe it. It's, near, it's not far from like the Fulton Market area, you know, where all the hot restaurants and bars yes. and things are. Where it used to, you,
1: a, this is how old I am. I remember that that is where the truck drivers used to go to drop off produce and pick up hookers. That's how old I am. So, yes, I know where that is. Exactly. Right. I,
8: you know, I think maybe there's less produce now. <laughs>
1: good good to know and the hookers probably look a little better too i'm sorry sex workers this is the progressive talk station uh yes so that that was a thing you were really delighted with last year how about um do you, what are some of the other arts that you cover in depth i think do you also cover i want to say the publishing industry it seems to me pre- pretty pretty well books, yeah we're, we're very
8: involved yeah that's uh, that's that would be the other the other big one for us is uh Printers Row Lit Fest, and we do a, a big um, issue every year where we sort of recognize fifty either artists and poets and novel. You know, I mean, not this artists, was kind of looked,
1: sneaky of me because my publisher made the Lit Fifty this year, so I, I'm a I'm a tortoise book author, so I, I get to I get to applaud your Lit Fifty.
8: Yes, yes. yes. Well, they're an important pl- you know player in the Chicago realm for sure. You know, they, they're very high quality. Um, curation of what they publish. They don't just publish anything and everything. And so it's a uh, Jerry Brennan, right?
1: Yes, that's right. That's my, that's my yeah. publisher. Um, yeah. It's a story how I found him, but I, I should tell you that story someday. You'd appreciate it. Um, but but you do a lot for literature in Chicago, which has a huge, I mean, I, I didn't even realize coming out of COVID, what a big scene is here for spoken word, for printed word. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that scene here in Chicago and how you are um, promoting it?
8: Sure. Absolutely. It's been um, it's been really amazing for us to watch it because we launched the Lit 50, which is our biggest literary issue of the year. And, um in the early 90s. And we did that in part because we felt like we knew there were a handful of writers and they're all kind of working in isolation and they didn't know each other and no one knew them, you know, except for a few famous ones like say, Scott Tarot or somebody. And so we started this list. And what's been fascinating is now there is a thriving community of that goes, you know, all across the spectrum from you know really terrific novelists who you know we who are doing you know a few and I you know if I have any friends listening that I forget I'm just going to give you a few highlights Rebecca Mackay who, who wrote one of the big best-selling novels of the year yes, she did. Uh, John Jonathan E who did whose biography of Muhammad Ali is you know one of the most important books of the year across the board um, and then you have poets like um, uh, Avery who is now the first poet you um, uh, laureate of Chicago, and um, and, um, and um, you know, and so, and so and then you have the so you have the you have this you have the performance poetry, and you have the poetry magazine, which is you know the gold standard of poetry publishing in the world, and is the probably the biggest poetry foundation. So Chicago's literary world is now so big and so vast and so important that um, it's it's really kind of spectacular. But I have to say one thing, which is that. Each of the art forms we cover has really exploded. You know, Chicago is, in the 37 years we've been doing this, Chicago, not that it was terrible then, but it's amazing how deep and rich and vast the Chicago art world, the arts world is now, across art and, you know, literature and music and theater, of course, and, uh, you know, dance and all these different art forms and, you know, the cuisine, chefs, you know everything has become so great and deep here. So, so are, really...
1: are, you mentioned theater. Um, are you following any of the, the difficulties and the stresses of the theater scene now since COVID? Um, you can do art even if you can't go out, but the theaters really suffered. Are you following that economic component and the loss of the theaters here in Chicago? We've sustained several.
8: Yes, definitely. I think, you know, There's a we're in this... Uh, yeah for whatever reason theater was the art form that seems to be bearing the biggest brunt of coming out of covid and um we're in this and it was it, it's such a pride and joy for chicago our theater scene so it's really challenging to be going through this upheaval right now but it's not unique to chicago it's happening everywhere in the country new york's having the same problems la major theaters are all being challenged i tend to think that it's transitional rather than a long-term thing. I think we're, we're, we're evolving things a little bit to adjust to kind of a new world and a new way. Hmm. There's, there's, you know, and, and it might be that some of the old long-term theaters will, will go away, but younger new ones with, you know, with really exciting new voices will come up and, uh, and, and replace them. I don't, I don't think the art form is in danger. I think the, Infrastructure is being challenged right now, and it's not across the board. You know, Goodman Theater had its biggest um, fall season in its history this year. Well, they you know, do they good
1: have, work. Well, let's yeah. let's talk about that. I think one of the reasons that the Goodman Theater is is so vital and thriving so well, they have reached deep into some diverse and unusual communities to feed their projects, and I'm thinking of of. Um, their summer theater conservatory programs, and I'm thinking of the number of artists of color that they're uh, putting on stage. And I also saw the most, perhaps the most non-traditional audience that I'd ever seen when they did Tommy. And it was like part Rosemont Horizon crowd, part Goodman Theater crowd. It was wild. I mean, there were people who were dressed in, in a way that I would not normally see at the Goodman, and you'd dress just about any kind of way, but I hadn't seen anybody in spiky heels, a micro leopard spotted mini and and fishnets at the Goodman, I don't think ever, but by golly, there she was uh, at the Goodman. So what is New City doing? Um, to bring in communities that have thriving art scenes that maybe haven't been recognized um, on the scale that you operate before?
8: Well, I think, you know, what we do is we write about it, right? We cover it. We look for the new, the emerging scenes. Like there's a, um, uh, you know, there's an, a new theater company, new to Chicago, a couple years old called Refracted. And we you know, kind of put them elevated them on our radar for example um there's definition theater down in hyde park that's really doing some amazing exciting work or congo square so our our role is to just shine the light right and 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 then you know our audiences uh, you know we hope will follow but it's also going to be a transition of finding new audiences so it's new voices and new audiences in, and in, in I, you know, I think we'll, I think we'll get through this without a problem because the fact, kind of like what you mentioned with Tommy, Tommy was the, the most successful. Goodman, a very old theater. It's the oldest theater company in Chicago. Yeah. It's the most successful show they've ever done. So if that can happen at the same time that everyone's talking about the, the demise of theater, there's something not quite, you know what I'm saying? It just, I think it means that there's, we're in this point where people have to figure out a new a new way to do things a little bit, and and that once that happens, we'll be fine.
1: I love that, and thank you for ending it for today on such a hopeful note. So I'll recommend that people go to your website and subscribe for their very own art collection. Newcity dot org, I think it is. If it's not, try. No,
8: uh, let me let me tell you how to do this because if you don't do it a certain way, you okay. won't get the, the posters. Tell me, you fast. have to go to newcityshop s h o p dot And when you subscribe, it has to be an annual or gift subscription. You have to write the word folio into the notes F H O L I O.
1: Okay. Now you know. All right. Go get art. Thank you so much, Brian, for being with us. I appreciate it. WCPT Patty is next to drive you home. And I'll see you tomorrow. Live local and progressive.